Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the meaning of the zodiac sign Scorpio. Joining me today are astrologers Kira Tayburn and Samuel F. Reynolds. Welcome, both of you. Thanks. Hey, Chris. <laughs> thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining me. During Scorpio season with two of my favorite Scorpio friends, we're going to basically do a really extensive, this is the eighth episode in this series so far, where we're going to be talking about the eighth sign of the zodiac Scorpio. We're going to be talking about its core meanings and doing sort of a deep dive into what it's all about, and also comparing and contrasting it with some of the other signs of the zodiac. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the setup for this episode. So usually where I begin with this series is I kind of ask people what their credentials are. Uh, in this instance, what are your credentials as a Scorpio? If you feel as a Scorpio like sharing those credentials, it's fine. Whatever you do or do not feel like sharing. Um, <laughs> what do, what do, where, where are the two of you at with that? I think it's it's funny because Sam and I have creepily similar charts, <laughs> um, but I do have have more Scorpio planets. I think just one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a Sun Mars Pluto conjunction in Scorpio. Okay. Do you feel comfortable sharing your chart, or where are you at with that? Yeah, I'm. I'm feel I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll put it on the screen really quick here. That's cool. Yeah. It'll be cool to see it compared to Sam's too, because <laughs> yeah, well, and that was kind of the genesis of this episode. As you reached out to me, you know, talking about we could do the Scorpio episode together, and then I looked at your chart, um, and I was just reminded of how similar it is to Sam's. So you have Pisces rising, and then you have the Sun, the Sun, Mars, and Pluto up in Scorpio in the ninth whole sign house, and Jupiter in Virgo in the seventh whole sign house. Yes. So. Um, that's pretty. That's pretty good. So three three planet stellium in Scorpio uh, is pretty good credentials so far as far as stelliums go. Um, Sam, what's your what's yours? Do you share your chart? I do share my chart. You can put my chart up. And I I just realized, no, Kira, we have the same amount of planets in oh, Scorpio. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I guess my credentials, and I also oh, have my yes. lot of fortune in Scorpio. Um. But we, we we do have very similar charts, only a degree in terms of our ascendance. We both have fire moons. Our Venuses are in the eighth house. Um, so there are a lot of parallels. We have dignified Marses. Um, I think so. And your Mars yeah. is in Scorpio, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. For the, so for the audio listeners, so Sam has Pisces rising also with Mercury, Neptune, and the Sun all in Scorpio in the ninth whole sign house and Jupiter in Virgo in the seventh whole sign house. And you both have actually Venus in Libra. That's really wild. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. those are pretty similar charts. And um, yeah, I think pretty good credentials. I mean, you do have both have three planets in Scorpio. That lot of fortune though is like is like pushing things a little bit over in terms of like <laughs> stelliums go. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm not gonna like get in the middle of that dispute, but but those are both <laughs> Worthwhile Scorpio <laughs> stelliums. Um, yeah, I do have to say though, uh, I also have some Scorpio placements. Uh, in, for, in terms of my credentials, I should share that really quickly. Um, my chart is Aquarius rising, and I have the Sun, Saturn, Mercury, Pluto, and the South Node in Scorpio. Yeah, you got us beat. Yeah, you win. <laughs> yeah, that's like in the poker game where somebody lays down like a full house at the end. And it just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are more Scorpio than us. <laughs> Literally well, a full house. We'll, we'll see. We'll see uh, during the course of this episode. All right. So um, 
where do we begin here when it comes to Scorpio? Let me start by showing some graphics for those watching the video version in order to just outline some of the basic stats about Scorpio and some of the conceptual structure that we're going to be using for this episode. So here is the signs of the zodiac, the 12 signs of the zodiac, where we see Scorpio as the eighth sign from our starting point, which was Aries way back earlier this year. So Scorpio is said to be a feminine or nocturnal sign. It's a water sign in terms of the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water. In terms of modalities, it's said to be a fixed sign in terms of the, the three modalities of cardinal, fixed, and mutable. Uh, in terms of the traditional rulership scheme, Scorpio is said to be ruled by the planet Mars, and it's said to be the nocturnal sign that Mars rules as opposed to Aries, which is the diurnal or masculine sign that Mars rules. Um, Scorpio is said to be the sign of the fall or the depression of the moon in terms of essential dignity, and it's also said to be the sign of the detriment or the antithesis of Venus because it's opposite to one of Venus's ruling signs, which is Taurus which you can see here just in the arrangement of the signs of the zodiac, how Scorpio is a fixed water feminine sign ruled by Mars, and it's opposite to Taurus, which is a feminine fixed Earth sign, which is ruled by Venus. All right, so those are the, the basic stats when it comes to Scorpio. Um, where should we start here, or, or, or where do the two of you start when you talk about this sign or when you try to explain it to clients or, or teach it to students? What are some of the first things that come to mind? For me, it starts where you started in terms of Mars dealing with water um, and the fixity of it. Because one of the, the challenges I, I often find with students is that they may often not understand why signs are the way they are beyond just their experience or anecdotal evidence. So the reason why we often associate, say, a certain intensity with Scorpio or certain quality of, of an intention, because it's still a Mars sign, and Mars is very much interested in kind of breaking through and some way of getting to yet another level, the battle, but for Scorpio, the battle is often internal. Doesn't mean it's never external, but you know we wage a lot of wars within ourselves before they ever go outside. And that's the nature of water. And so water is a lot more internal, processing, receptive, which many call feminine. So by virtue of that, Mars goes as a contrast to Aries from the external battle to dealing with the inner jihad, um, the battle that wages from within. And as a fixed sign, you know, it's trying to stabilize and get to some measure of, you know, I guess some uh, level of consistency on point and purpose. So I think the elements of how we understand the sign is right there between modality, the element, and the planet in charge. I like that. That's a really good point. And one of the keywords you use, that's a good one for Mars and thinking about this as a Mars ruled sign is you were talking a little bit about it having almost like a, a penetrating quality. And that does seem to be like a recurring theme um, for Scorpio, both in the animal symbol for this sign, which is a scorpion that has a stinger, um, but also just more metaphorically, the notion of uh, the penetrative quality of Scorpio uh, comes up in the archetype a lot, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, I penetrate 
penetration is one of my favorite Scorpio words for sure. Even thinking about the glyph of Mars and the glyph of Scorpio, both having that sort of, you know, that stinger, that tail, that thing that can really pierce. Um, and yeah, similarly, I, I would start with, um, you know, it being a fixed water sign. Um, but I always like to draw the comparison between, you know, diurnal Mars and nocturnal Mars or Mars as the ruler of Aries versus the ruler of Scorpio. Um, and sort of, you know, Mars being the warrior, the fighter. Um, and so it's like, how do we fight in the daytime versus the nighttime? Um, and, and how, you know, Mars and Aries or Aries um, is so much about forging a path and, um, and sort of, yeah, fighting in this more, um, I would say, um, not intuitive. What's the word? Like there's a, there's an initiative, initiative quality to it and, um, an instinctual quality, I think to more Aries type of fight where it's, you know, it's the, just do it. It's you're on the battlefield. There's, you know, a, a, a spear coming at you or something. You, you can't really think you just have to do. Whereas like the first Scorpio, into the breach or the, the person that's at the front of the line, just like running, running in. Exactly. Yeah. Is the Aries energy? It's the Aries more diurnal um, daytime fighting um, versus the nocturnal type of fight. Um, a lot more about strategy. It's a lot more about being secretive, um, maybe sneaking up on your opponent. I think it. I think it was Austin Kopic um, who I first heard this from kind of comparing, you know, Aries and Scorpio as like the daytime, you know, warrior on the front lines of battle versus the ninja. Um, the ninja, right. And the one that's, you know, sneaking in the shadows and having to be very cunning and strategic um, and, you know, waiting a, a little bit more as opposed to just just doing it, just going for it. So um, that's typically where I like to start is it's a quieter, secretive, more more secretive type of fighting or of battling of you know of war yeah and i think that's, that's true one. to yeah i'm sorry it was, i was going to also say we can even start with the actual creature associated with the sign the arachnid you know arachnids in general which includes spiders and of course the scorpion eponymous eponymously named um they're they're patient um, and then they will come upon their prey and strike. Um, so I think that really kind of relates to the idea of this sign. Yeah, I like that. So the difference between the, the warrior versus like the assassin is more of the Scorpio archetype to some, some extent. Um, that reminds me of something Robert Zoller said to me once where he said that, um, he said Aries is like a machine gun fire, whereas Scorpio is like a sniper rifle. Um, yeah. And that, that was part of his differentiation also between the sort of chaoticness of the cardinal fire sign ruled by Mars of Aries versus a fixed water sign where it has more of a singular focus or a singular intensity of its attack or its outburst. It's more directed and careful in some ways. Yeah. You know, if we had to define cardinality, it would be more like, you know, ready, aim, or I would say ready, fire, aim, right? <laughs> and so Scorpio is more like, let's, let's aim 
aim and have focus and control. Yeah, so it's just the, only having to do that one thing once and making it perfect, making the perfect, almost like killing shot something um, at that time. So um, other things, one of you mentioned, so we were talking about the penetrating, and Kira, you mentioned uh, piercing as another synonym, and that reminded me something of a, of a common Scorpio stereotype, which is the piercing eyes or like the piercing gaze that sometimes gets associated with Scorpios. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. The yeah, the eagle stare, or <laughs> I'm sure it's been called a bunch of different you know terms, but yeah, there is this very um, yeah penetrative, <laughs> piercing quality to I think a Scorpio's um, a Scorpio's stare, even a Scorpio rising, especially a Scorpio rising. Yeah, yeah. So I think. I think that goes into the notion that sometimes Scorpios, that one of the core archetypes is that trying to get to the bottom of something, and that, and that does actually go back to the sort of archetype of penetration and the notion of digging down deep into something to get to the core of something and sort of pushing away surface or um, you know what's a what's a better synonym for like surface thing, almost like a shallow things. But instead, really wanting to understand something down um, at its deepest level, the and, bottom line, yeah, you know, yeah. to see the truth of it. You know, one of the things I always say, I usually apply this more to the Scorpio rising, but it could be applicable to all the different permutations of Scorpio. Scorpio, even if we looked at it seasonally, which um, is always tricky because it depends on where you are in the globe. But if you're talking about in the northern hemisphere, it's kind of looking at the balance between. The balance is tipped between light and darkness, going more toward darkness. So Scorpio is kind of really trying to see what's really there and trying to get more to the essence of things. You know, right now in the Northern Hemisphere, we're dealing with fall and we're dealing with kind of things appearing to die. But at the same time, the generative powers of light or, or life are really kind of coming forth as these different plants are dropping, you know, their fruits and their eggs. Uh, we could say their their seeds in order to kind of regenerate life. And so the Scorpio is trying to say like, well, we're see where is life really kind of there? And we can say that by extension truth. So I always joke with a Scorpio rising, if I had to choose between a lie detector and a Scorpio rising, I probably would always choose a Scorpio rising because they're really trying to see what's really there. And they, they have a very strong bullshit detector. Yeah, getting to the truth and truthfulness and um honesty and uh, trust are super important uh, Scorpio keywords that are almost like a, a currency among Scorpios. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Trust, loyalty. I think all the fixed signs care a lot about loyalty and trust, but um, I think with Scorpio, it becomes so deeply emotional <laughs> and, um, and yeah, that's why I think it, it's such a, a powerful part of like, yeah. You, you said it perfectly, the, the currency. <laughs> um, that's That definitely hits. Yeah, because I was thinking about that because trust is important and sometimes trust comes through sometimes sharing secrets. Um, but trusting somebody or a Scorpio, especially trusting somebody with secrets is almost a form, of, it's a form of vulnerability and underlying everything. That's really one of the core things. And it's something that came up when I asked for like keywords on Twitter that people associate with Scorpios is 
um, even though they don't usually have that reputation as much as the other two water signs, Cancer and Pisces, which are, are often associated as the more emotional signs due to their watery nature. Um, Scorpio also is a water sign. It's just like a fixed water sign. So people sometimes associate that with like ice or something like that. Um, but underlying a lot of that, because it's a water sign, is a tremendous level of, of vulnerability. Um, but it's kind of masked by an attempt to protect that through different types of armor and things like that. Absolutely. And I think one one dimension of Scorpio's dealing with betrayal, usually the Scorpio by virtue of um, having experienced betrayal or some way in which there's been a profound breach of trust, is on a journey to recover some measure of that trust. Um, and, you know, often Scorpios may not want to acknowledge that vulnerability, uh, but the truth is it's really there. And that's our challenge usually. Yeah, in doing the research for this episode and preparing for it, uh, Camille Michelle Gray helped me with some research. And one of the things that she wrote down and noted in, in her notes was that Scorpio is one of the only signs that has in the animal symbol for it, like armor, like actual armor as part of its its basic symbolism, but it's in order to protect that sort of vulnerable part. So sometimes the armor can be an external uh, you know, thing that sort of pushes people away or, or keeps people at arm's length to some extent um, as a matter of, of protection of some sort. Yeah, which relates to Mars. Mars has a certain prickliness, defensiveness um, way. I mean, I would say like if we had to define... Hmm? Like a cactus or something? A cactus. You know, if we had to make, again, a distinction with the other Mars sign with Aries, that may have a more offensive, proactive quality, whereas Scorpio may have more of a reactive, defensive quality. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like if you touch a scorpion or if you you step on a scorpion, then you get stung, but the scorpion itself normally is not like charging out, Correct. Try, yeah. trying to sting you. It's doing it as a matter of self-defense. Correct. I feel like since we're talking about scorpions, something I also wanted to bring up about Scorpios and scorpions is just the the endurance piece as well. And I think when I think about scorpions, these animals that you know are typically in deserts, um, but they're also in you know forests and rainforests as well. Um, but yeah, they have this sort of, it, it reminds me of like the, how a desert, you know, used to be the ocean essentially, and how these animals are still dwelling here, <laughs> um, you know, however long after this, it's, the environment has changed into the being this very destitute um, place. But yeah, this, this creature still survives essentially. And I think um, that's another Thing about Scorpios and you know being Mars ruled and sort of having this built-in armor is like um, the survival piece of it and the endurance um, aspect of I guess a fixed sign in general, but especially um, especially Scorpio. I will survive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's that good, does speak to that. That's a good point. So survivalism and endurance. And maybe the survivalism component partially can come around back to something Sam was mentioning, which I think 
is important, which is the the seasonal reference point for where Scorpio season falls in terms of uh, the sun moving through Scorpio in the northern hemisphere, uh, coinciding with the very middle of the fall season, where um, all of the the leaves on the trees are, you know, literally like dying and are falling off the the trees and falling into decay. So there is this real sense of um, death as like a concept coming up with Scorpios, even just through that seasonal metaphor. And it's interesting how that contrasts so much with the opposite sign, which is Taurus, where you're right in the middle of the spring season. Once all of the flowers are fully like in bloom and like everything is beautiful, and um, there's this real notion of like the beauty in some ways of of like youth and of things that are like in their prime at that point with all the plants and everything that are blossoming, versus once you get to the other side of the seasons being right in the middle of the fall season, there's something about the, you know, the beauty also and the elegance of um, death and of things going through that natural cycle um, of sometimes losing, you know, go and the end of one phase and the death of one phase of existence, and then the transition into whatever the, the next phase of existence is. Yeah, I think we're the guardians of the promise of life. And you, you actually just inspired that thought, um, the promise of life that we see manifest related to fall in the Northern Hemisphere and then how that manifests related to its fulfillment in Taurus as our polarity. But I also think about generally, unless unless we are, um, you know, not conceived or delivered early, um, Scorpios most often are conceived in Aquarius, you know, during the time in which we have to deal with the promise of the return of the light, you know, Candlemas, not literally, February 1st itself, but more the idea where we seem to kind of go toward the coldest moment and then coming back toward this other moment, you know, the kind of cold, wet moment of, of Aquarius air into the cold, wet moment of fixed water. And that's that's an interesting dynamic because of all the anticipa points, and we probably do need to explain that, um, the anticipa points, they, you know, for the fixed signs, they only stay with the fixed signs. Um, so there's a certain dynamic in our fixity that isn't true for cardinal or mutable signs in terms of that kind of resurgence of life cycle. Yeah, that's a good point about um, the conception thing. I know that's something you've mentioned frequently, Kira, right? Oh, how I celebrate Valentine's Day as my conception day. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. That's my father's birthday, actually. Oh, then you actually know. I just, yeah. ask my, I just, I call my mom every year and I'm like, thanks for conceiving me. <laughs> That's so funny, but there, there's something probably important and significant about that, the notion that like most or a lot of Scorpios, because it's like eight months later, you know, there's a lot of Scorpios getting conceived on like Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. There's a lot of us. Yeah. It's yeah. Nine months. I was born nine months, four days after. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's something about that. I don't know that maybe ties into something that gets associated with Scorpios in terms of notions of like passion and other things like that. I know there's some debate about that in modern times about different things about how much to associate Scorpio with sex or sexuality or some of the issues with like the 12-letter alphabet and how that gets transferred to like the eighth house. But um, even from a traditional standpoint, there's something about the fact that even, for example, in the traditional assignment of the different parts of the body, 
that Scorpio is said to rule like the the genitals and that whole area of the body. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Kira, do you want to talk about that first? <laughs> I mean, I definitely have a lot to say about it, but I, I was you. just going to say, you know, like the process of um, ex excretion, is that the word? Like, um, but like, yeah, I guess. Regeneration? I don't know about yeah, excretion. The re <laughs> yeah, the regen. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. The regeneration and well, actually you go for it because you probably have something more succinct to say. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I mean, I mean, it is associated with both, both. Like excretion, getting it out. Yeah, like that whole area of the body in general. Um, well, I think what I would say is that I think we definitely relate to the gonads um, in terms of that dimension related to sexuality um, as not so much sex itself. One of the issues I have with people collapsing that, whether we want to talk about that as the astrological alphabet or anything like that, or even kind of just laying it at the feet of Alan Leo um, in terms of the eighth house and that kind of connection. I think the issue with it is like, it's one thing to talk about the gonads and our regenerative power or even excretion as a way of going toward regeneration. And I can elaborate more on that. It's another thing that, for that then to say, then as a sign, we're sex crazed maniacs. I don't think that's, I think that's where the joke goes too far. Because for instance, Aries, our other Mars brother, sister, um, or them, is related to the head, but we don't associate philosophy with that or all the things that come from the head. So I don't know why then we look at the gonads, we're like, well, you guys are sex crazed, which <laughs> I always take particular issue with because it's funny on an anecdotal or experiential level, I find there are Scorpios who are very much into their sexuality. And then I find Scorpios who are like, no, I, I renounced sex in the 60s. Yeah. You well, know? Yeah. But which the that in and of itself is a type it's of focus. Uh, yeah, is a type of focus on sex and sexuality where sometimes it can be inverted and it can be um, the attempt to remove that or, or place like a, 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 not a memorandum, what's the term when you like refuse to do something is in and of itself. Memorial? Um, uh, what is it? Well, um, oh, oh, go on. Sorry. Yeah, come to I'm me. spacing it out. But um, just the idea of moratorium. putting a moratorium on sex is in and of itself is an attempt to control or moderate one's sexuality. Sometimes if, if the person feels like it's getting out of whack or, you know, even having a sort of aesthetic um, like a monk type approach to sexuality. If somebody had like Saturn there or something like that can in and of itself be just an expression of still a focus on that area as being important in some way, as opposed to let's say the average person where it's not something that's like a major focus in their life in, in some way. And I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that one may have a consciousness related to sex as from the gonad, but to kind of make that just always proactive. Like, basically, you know, people will say about Scorpios, oh, you're a whore. Uh, not recognizing <laughs> that there can be like this moratorium, this contrast. And I actually think a lot about Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, who was a Scorpio. And Martin Luther, when he was a monk and going toward this particular point of transformation that became you know, the 99 theses and everything related to um, 
the you know the church and challenging and changes the church. I don't know if that's actually ninety nine thesis. Maybe I'm confusing it with something with Islam. But it's it's really kind of he struggled a lot with his sexuality. I don't m- mean in terms of his sexual orientation, but he burned a lot in terms of his sexuality. I mean he um, he couldn't really be fully satisfied with being a celibate Catholic priest, and he didn't end up and stay one. Makes me also think of Gandhi. Gandhi was a Scorpio rising. Um, who also struggled deeply and profoundly in terms of aspects of sexual expression. So I think these two really kind of, as examples, do parallel the struggles for a Scorpio. But again, I don't think that always translates into, you know, well, you're just out there having sex. Sure. So yeah. your point your point is just, is not that the sign doesn't have any association or sometimes focus or preoccupation in some ways with, with sex or sexuality, but that um, it doesn't always necessarily mean promiscuity per se. Correct. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you were talking about, um, what you mentioned a lot, Sam, is like an element of control um, with Scorpio. And I think especially when it comes to sex. Um, and I, I find yeah, a lot of times, a lot of Scorpios and Scorpio placements are actually more, lean more on the um, abstaining side. Because um, I think a huge part of Scorpios is this, the cha- like challenging oneself. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from a need for control um, in some, some way, shape or form. And that often can come out in you know, various ways, but with sex, I, I see it a lot, like controlling oneself from having sex or, or wanting, you know, more control over oneself in a way where you're going out and seeking it more. Um, so yeah, it can go, it can go either way, but I think control kind of, it comes down to that in a lot of, a lot of aspects. That's a really great point that there's there can be an underlying motivation or overarching archetype of, of control and attempt to achieve mastery and self self-mastery is like a major motivating factor. Yeah, especially I find it a lot with Scorpio sons um, that they're just always challenging themselves in <laughs> some way in some way, you know. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a Scorpio archetype I, I find a lot. Mm. Okay. Um, and Any, also just, to, oh, I was just going to say another thing just in regards to the genitals being related to Scorpio. Um, it just, for me, just brought up like childbirth um, and sort of the Martian nature of childbirth. Um, and and I guess sex in general, um, there's, there's like a, I think a Venus and Mars aspect in, in a lot of ways when it comes to sex, but, and you talked about that on a episode many, many years ago. Um, and maybe it was just like an antidote on something, but I remember that conversation around how I think it takes both Venus and Mars uh, often. Um, but, but yeah, when we're talking about like um, the act of like, conceiving a child (laughs) um and then also like the childbirth part of that too that does seem very martian um and and it just also makes me think about how water signs are the most fertile signs and the animals associated with the water signs have the most baby you know have a lot of babies too so those things just came up as well and i guess 
we also could talk about, you know, this active sexuality. And as you talked about Akira um, with the Scorpio sons, but I think we could extend it to the other Scorpio influences um, of wanting to improve and be stronger. It makes me think of the Scorpio rising Frederick Wilhelm Nietzsche, who reportedly said, that which does not kill me makes me stronger, right? And it's the, the idea of kind of looking for more strength, um, perhaps a way of shielding themselves from that vulnerability. And maybe some measure of that is tied to one's sexuality or vitality. That might be the better word. Um, one's prime sense of vitality. Mm, that's a good point. Um, that re reminds me one of the things that um, Austin talks about in one of his breakdowns of one of the decans of Scorpio. He mentioned like hunger as an underlying like keyword for for Scorpio, at least for one of the decans. And I thought that was a really interesting and insightful thing to mention in, in connection with that, like the idea of, of like hunger for something, or or even sometimes when that's out of whack, a notion of like insatiability. Mm -hmm. That's I use that word to describe myself a lot, <laughs> insatiable. But um, yeah, the hunger piece. Um, definitely hits pretty hard. I think when talking about Scorpio and, and, um, you know, Mars, Mars ruled water sign, essentially how there is this like need for, for attention. Um, and, you know, I think that's the fixity of like needing consistency, but the, re the retention quality of Scorpio, um, I often find, you know, people with Scorpio placements, especially like the moon and Venus, um, will often have problems with being bloated, um, or like literal water retention. And it's like, there's an issue with Scorpio about around not letting, not being able to let go, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and release, you know, which the South Node, I guess, has been helping us with lately. But um, but yeah, that also comes in with the control element of it too. But yeah, just the retaining and retention piece too, um, to me, kind of goes hand in hand with the the hunger and like not the insatiability and not really having enough. And it's not out of greed. I, I think some measure of it taps into the nature, the feral nature, and I'm not talking about it just in terms of the astrology of Mars. One of the things that I often think about too, I, I kind of tweeted about it recently too, was um, the idea of the hunter, huntress within the Martian. Um, and I was specifically talking about uh, Bjork's uh, hunter song. And, you know, Bjork is a triple Scorpio. She has the sun, moon, and rising in Scorpio. Um, and I learned that her mom is also an astrologer. And in that song, um, which also has an adaptation that was used in one of the Terminator movies, um, is, is this idea of I'm going hunting. And it's some measure of the joy in the hunt, in the pursuit of something. And some people, you know, when you, when you have that as a Scorpio, you know, it kind of just becomes dogged. I mean, that's even how I got into astrology or deeper into astrology. I could not let it go. And I don't know what I was hunting for. I just knew I was looking for something. I thought I was looking for, you know, the fallacy of astrology, you know, that I would discover like it's a trick. And so I was 
kind of willing or looking to, I guess, disrobe astrology, but I was hunting astrology and not realizing, I think ultimately I was being hunted. Um, but that's also something that happens with Scorpio. You know, we're, we're in pursuit of something. Mm, I think just think, hearing you say that, I definitely relate. And it makes me think of, you know, all this, all of our Scorpio stuff being in the ninth house of astrology. Um, and I feel like my entrance into it was very similar in that I saw my birth chart, you know, on the screen. I Googled it and I did not sleep that night. I didn't get a lick of sleep. <laughs> I just couldn't stop searching. I looked at every page of Google um, and here I am 10 years later and I'm still just as obsessed. So yeah, the, the hunting piece feels, um, feels pretty apt there as well. But I think it relates to what you're saying, Chris, which is the, the hunger, right? It, it comes from something that you're trying to satiate. Yeah, and the the finding developing a passion for something and being very passionate about something, and once that passion is established, having as we said earlier, endurance. Um, it's funny you guys mentioned that because I think my entrance into astrology was through conspiracy theories, ironically, and I was like super into conspiracy theories as a. I found it fell no into some, way. Well, that and some like I was studying like Nostradamus and like predictions about the future and like which is kind of like obscure occult sounding things like that. And then I discovered the concept of birth charts and like Kira was just completely fascinated by it. And even though I eventually um, went through a whole journey and process of becoming ironically more skeptical about conspiracy theories, eventually astrology was the one thing that I sort of stuck with um, that still seemed to be valid and, and that I be was so fascinated by that I realized that that was what I wanted to spend my life studying essentially. Wow. I didn't know so, that about you. It's something I'm new to learn. It's cool. Yeah. Well, and that's a, you know, thing maybe that we could mention as well with um Scorpios is sometimes they have this sensitivity to what's going on behind the scenes um which can be really good and it can make them sort of intuitive not necessarily always just in like a like a psychic sense or something like that, but just having a good intuition for like what's going on and, and what the undercurrents are that are flowing beneath the surface of things. And I think that's actually probably part of the corrective quality that Scorpio has um, as the sign that follows after Libra is that Libra can sometimes be more about surface level things and what's going on in the surface and that being very important to keep up almost like surface appearances as the primary focus, whereas Scorpio goes much more internal and much more inside, is much more focused on what's happening behind the scenes. Um, but I think in that impulse, sometimes that impulse for Scorpio can short circuit sometimes, and it can lead to, when it gets out of control, like a paranoia or a conspiratorial thinking. And sometimes like the best thing to get away from that, that they, they have a hard time letting go of, is that not everything is like a conspiracy or a plot, and sometimes stuff just happens. Like everything's not always, um, you know, planned out behind the scenes necessarily in this grand master way. Yeah, it, it's kind of like paranoia means the the thorough idea of you know something beyond knowing. Um, and I think it's not that, and this is kind of going along with this general idea of conspiracy and conspiracy conspiracy theory. It's, that, it's not that no one may be out to get you, 
it's not everyone <laughs> is out to get you. Right. So I think that's where Scorpios kind of take, you know, uh, figuratively the joke too far in thinking that, you know, it's this person. I mean, I, I once had a roommate who was a Scorpio who had that sensibility. Um, and it was interesting. I wasn't into astrology that deep at that moment, but reflectively, I kind of realized like, oh, that might be true about Scorpio. Because I, when I met him, I, I was like, well, you know, I, I went into his dorm room and he had a pillowcase over his mirror. And I was like, why is there a pillowcase over your mirror? Because um, he was actually talking to someone else and I was just there as kind of the, the third wheel. And I, I couldn't resist asking him, why is there a pillowcase over your mirror? He said, oh, because they're looking at me. Who, who are they? <laughs> and he's like, oh, the people next door. And I was like, this is fascinating. I decided not to comment on it. And I don't know why I ended up as his roommate other than through that other mutual friend. Because that paranoia didn't go away. Mm. But that is one particular extreme. And again, I won't dis completely dismiss out of hand that maybe, you know, he... There were people who might have smirked about him because they may have seen like, oh, yeah, you're a weirdo. Um, but I don't think it was as many people as he thought. Yeah. You know, what's really funny oh, about this, it just made me realize, it made me remember like the opposite side of that, which is like, sometimes they are out to get you. And it just reminded me of a very famous um, Scorpio placement, which is J. Edgar Hoover, who mm. had Capricorn rising and Saturn and Uranus in Scorpio, as well as the Midheaven in Scorpio. And he was like the head of the FBI and was involved in like, you know, gathering together different people's like secrets and like spying on people and sometimes like blackmailing people and doing all sorts of like Absolutely. shady behind the scenes stuff. So that like, you know, it's funny because the flip side of it is like sometimes there is stuff like that out there and it's sometimes the Scorpio energy is almost sometimes attuned to picking that up or sometimes are the people sort of working behind the scenes involved in those those things. But that's the challenge. The challenge, I think, is to learn to be discerning. Like I said, it's not everyone that's mm -hmm. out to get you. It doesn't mean there's no one. Right. It just means that you have to kind of be discerning. For sure. And that's probably a lifelong lesson and struggle for maybe heavy Scorpio placements or energy is learning how to be discerning and learning to find the correct balance between um, being sensitive to what's happening in the environment and having that almost as like a special superpower, but on the other hand, not letting that sensitivity get out of whack and lead you into weird places of paranoia and sort of almost delusion. Yeah, I think I think an issue that Scorpio often has is you know we're it's fixed sign, so you can kind of have a one track track mind. Um, and it can be really hard to sort of divert from that, which reminds me of another, um, at one point, Austin Kopic on this show had mentioned at related Scorpio to like water pipes, like what fixed water, water going into in one, one mm. direction, right? Fixed in one direction. Um, and yeah, it just makes me think about how difficult it can be to change a Scorpio's mind, um, mine included, um, when, yeah, it's like, you know, the water is rushing through the pipes in this one direction. And it's like, how are you going to, how are you going to divert that? Um, so yeah, I can, the one tracked mind I, I find in, I was raised by a Scorpio father, um, with sun and, and Mercury there. And I, I think with those more diurnal planets too, um, 
you know, the sun or even Mercury, more mentally oriented uh, planets in Scorpio can have a harder time with that as well. Cause it's like, yeah, just trying to rationalize um, in a, an environment that is very dark and murky and <laughs> sticky, which is what I think of uh, Scorpio like. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a good keyword there is, is obsession sometimes that comes up and that can be a good thing sometimes or can be a bad thing. Like obsession when channeled correctly is like having a passion for something and just like being super passionate about something, whether that's like a, a person, whether it's a hobby, whether it's like a life goal or something like that. But other times it can also be like a, an obsession or something that's that's maybe not necessarily healthy and that is hard to redirect once it gets headed sort of in a certain direction, sort of like a freight train. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll just say, especially for us Pluto and Scorpios that have Scorpio placements, um, the obsession compulsion piece just kind of gets ramped up when you add Pluto in the mix, which is, yeah, we have that whole 15 years of our generation that have that. So, or 12 years, I should say. Well, I was going to also say, I mean, I guess when are we going to talk about the the elephant or the planet in the, or the dwarf planet in the room? <laughs> um, because I think some measure of that word obsession, I think, is associated commonly with Pluto um, related to Scorpio. And not just Pluto in Scorpio, but Pluto as putative ruler of Scorpio. Um, now, I don't subscribe to using modern planets as rulers, but... It has become part of the lexicon of Scorpio because of that association with the modern planet Pluto. So I think that's, but we could explain that also in terms of fixed watery Mars. Exactly. Right. You know, it's kind yeah. of the deep diver. Yeah. yeah. It's the deep diver. So it's kind of like either way you want to look at it, whether it's from Pluto or from Mars, it is some way in which you feel pulled. And that's kind of an interesting thing, a sign that we've talked about so much so far with control often can seem to lose control with being feeling like something external to it is pulling it, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's, you know, as we were talking about astrology, but it could be like, well, why were you at that girl's house, Sam? I don't know. I just felt like I had to be there. Um, that's not like for my life, okay? <laughs> All right, sure. But I'm just, you know, it's kind of this obsessive quality that may may happen that is, you know, I've heard Scorpios talk about where you just, especially when it relates to, you know, we were just talking about Libra, um, you know, where a, a, a wrong has been committed against us. Um, we may feel compelled, obsessed about correcting, dealing with that wrong. One thing that I've talked about on Twitter and other places um, as a point of irony, is that I'm born at the very end of Scorpio, but my brother, my bigger old, older brother, who's now no longer with us, but he was born at the very beginning of Scorpio. And I saw this obsessive quality with him, um, especially when he felt wronged. And it sometimes could be very extreme, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know if we're getting into personal anecdotes, but that's one particular thing I could go into in terms of you know, where I saw an expression of that. No, that's perfect because it brings up something that Kira mentioned earlier. Um, and I was thinking about it, which is um, sometimes a tendency to take things overly personally. And the tendency that Kira mentioned, which is not letting go, like being unable to let go of things. And sometimes that can extend to 
holding on to perceived slights even for like years afterwards. Like I remember, you know, having a Scorpio person that I used to have like light interactions with, and then um, I stopped like hearing from him much. I didn't really think anything of it, and then I found out like years later that he held a grudge against me for some minor thing that I didn't. I didn't show up to an event that I you know, at a conference or something that I didn't think was that important, but it like really impacted him and he he had hold, held on to it for years. And it was like, a, it reminded me, I thought it was really interesting and fascinating, like teaching thing at the time, because it, I, I sort of understood then where that was coming from. And I could see also the impulse in myself sometimes to do things like that as like a universal Scorpio thing of sometimes taking things overly personally and then not letting go of it or, or struggling sometimes to let go of things. Yeah, it could yeah, become stagnant water. Yeah. I mean, there's still people that I'm mad, mad at for certain things that happened in middle school, you know. Um, <laughs> right, from like kindergarten from like 20 yeah. years ago, like you're still... Oh, absolutely. Like, how <laughs> dare you? You know, I'm still mad about it. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, you know... Ooh, I feel like I just lost what I was about to say from that. Sorry. That's all right. Um, just that, that notion of not letting go and of um, holding on to things. So retention, um, obsession, personalizing things, becoming more personal maybe sometimes than they are, maybe because of that deeply watery nature of Scorpio, which even though it has that external armor or prickliness, that it's like hiding or protecting something which ultimately is, is very emotional or vulnerable at its core and maybe that some of those defense mechanisms are set up in order to protect that in some way. Yeah, and I think that this is kind of gets to parts of why um, Venus and the Moon have such a hard time in Scorpio. Mm. Um, I always talk about how the Moon like would rather, the Moon just wants to have like an experience and then like drop it and move on. Like the moon really is is looking for, um, yeah, to be impacted and, and then to kind of move on. And similarly with Venus, Venus is trying to make these connections and, um, you know, on the surface really, like seeing what we have in common. Um, but in Scorpio, it's hard to it's hard to move past cer certain things, and I think with the moon, especially having its fall in Scorpio, um, it just takes way too long to process <laughs> in Scorpio. Whereas the moon is just trying to move on, I think. Um, and in Scorpio, I, I always describe it as a swamp. That's how I that's how I describe the environment of Scorpio. Um, and it just takes so much longer to, yeah, to process things, to move on and to, and I think that's where, you know, taking things personally comes from or not being able to move on from certain things. It's because it's like, you know, once you get hit even a little bit, um, there's sort of reverberations that just go so deep into a Scorpio's, you know, soul. It's like, you know, someone cuts you in line or something and it's really not a big deal, but it might trigger some incident where, you know, Tommy cut you in line <laughs> in first grade and you didn't get the piece of cake that you want or whatever. Um, but I think the, yeah, it just goes so deep with Scorpio and it can be hard to sort of be light and airy and, and just move on from things. And to be almost like pleasant, like a Venus is like a very pleasant planet, especially in Libra is a very, you know, wanting everyone to be sort of on good terms or even in Taurus to a certain extent, 
whereas sometimes um, Scorpio being that that sign that Mars ruled sign um, can sometimes fixate on the darker things of like you know not everything is pleasant or not everything is always positive all the time and sometimes that uh, awareness of the darker aspects of reality maybe is, is part of the contrast or going toward the deeper aspects of it or truth um, you know I, I remember I was raised by uh, two Libra influenced parents um, I remember, you know, I was a, a preacher at an early age, and so I wanted to talk about things related to theology and spirit and spirituality. I remember my mom saying, well, what, you know, or politics. And she's like, well, why don't you just talk about lighter things like the weather? And so I didn't talk about the weather for 30 years um, with anybody. I mean, that's like prime Scorpio. It's like, oh, you want me to talk about the weather? Never talk about the weather. <laughs> um, never, forgot, never forgot that comment. <laughs> no, but I think there, there's something even deeper related to that. As a Mars sign, and Mars even kind of having this connection um, through its hot and dry nature, like the sun, and then its quality related to Aries, I think Scorpio also has this high self-regard that it keeps deep within itself. And so I think that's one egotistical part of it, even though we don't like to talk about our egos, right? Like, oh, I don't have an ego. I'm trying to negate my ego, but the ego is very strong. You know, going back to the arachnid, what's fascinating about the scorpion is that it will sting itself to death with facing extinction. And just think about that. You know, this creature, if it's facing such a threat to itself, it would rather off itself and have that self that level of self-determination. And I think that can be reflective of when Scorpios are hurt. It's like, how dare you do that to me? And so it goes into other extremes. You know, if we have a breakup, no, I didn't just break up with you, you died. I attended your funeral, um, I wore black, everything. It's kind of where we have this intensity related to like what has happened to us. Mm -hmm. This preciousness that can often, you know, come up with Scorpios. Right. So, so intensity or almost extremism sometimes mm -hmm. is, is a tendency, especially when it comes to one-on-one -on -one connections. And again, that's probably part of the difference maybe in, in the transition from Libra, which is a little bit lighter social interactions with maybe many people. Scorpio is more intense one-on-one -on -one interactions with individual people. Yeah, that's a good way to define it. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier as like, you know, it's it's a it's the social Mars sign, which is you know weird because Mars is a very I think like selfish or self oriented um, planet, but it is social or maybe not social but relational. I should say um, it's the relational Mars sign um, where it's like I think difficult because yeah, there is the very self oriented nature of Mars. Um, but in Scorpio, it's, we have to, you know, yeah, deal with the other in a way that is, um, that makes us deal with vulnerability and, you know, emotions and everything that is beneath the surface. I, I often think about, yeah, with Libra, it's like we're meeting, um, and we're finding our common, our common ground. Um, but then it's in Scorpio, it's like, you know, we're holding hands and sort of like diving underneath that surface together and 
and, you know, diving into the swamp really and figuring out, I always say like in the swamp, it's like, you don't know, you know, what's yours and what's mine. It's all kind of blends together. And I think that's where things get really complicated (laughs) with Scorpio. Um, And that's kind of the nature of water too, right? Like things blend together and it's really hard to tell who, you know, whose is what. And um, especially once once you get entangled. Um, and I think that's why it, we get so extreme when things need to end. Cause it's like, you know, it, it is extreme, you know, it's like, I have to detangle you from, from myself or else, you know, there's, those remnants are still going to be there. And so it's like, yeah. Well, that I, I think, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no, you go, you go. Entanglement's a really good keyword for Scorpio. Yeah, and I was gonna say that you know this is one of the um, the other words I remember early in my studies of astrology. You know, when reading about Scorpio, this this need to merge, right? That we're the sign that deals with full mer- emergence, emergence with the other, which I've always I've always struggled with, you know, personally. But I still wonder about, and so maybe that's a good thing for us to talk about, where we have this sense of you know, and this is kind of the memes, you know, Scorpio wants to kind of consume you. Like, oh, it's just like, I don't want to just like have sex with you. I want to be one with you, mm-hmm. right? But do you, have you guys found that something to, to think about related to Scorpio or? Yeah, it's yeah, got to be, absolutely. it's got to be a water thing. It's like when you put two ice cubes in a room next to each other, but then you like heat them up in the microwave and they melt all the water just like merges together into one. So yeah. it's, it's interesting because then, we see that more readily in the other signs, especially like Pisces, where you have this like almost like desire to merge like universally or spiritually or something like that. With Scorpio, uh, there's also something there in a similar well, uh, a similar impulse to like merge deeply with with somebody. Yeah, definitely. I, f- I find that to be a very loud aspect of Scorpio and and Scorpio in relation to others. And I think that scares a lot of people too, um, that aren't, that aren't ready to completely merge. (laughs) Right. We're just like, what do you mean? Like, this sounds really fun. Why wouldn't you want to become one, (laughs) one human being? (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to make a blood pact with me right now? Even though we've, we've only gone on like one date so far. Yeah. What's the problem? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it can be a bit much. It can be a little too much sometimes, or a little bit too intense uh, for for sometimes. It can come on. They can come on strong in some instances. Yeah, I think people with Venus and and Scorpio, um, especially, deal with this. Like, I think there's this. I, whenever I talk to clients with Venus and Scorpio, I'm like, you know, you you don't want to talk at all. You don't want to have the talking stage at all. You're just ready to. <laughs> you know, to go in and go deep, you know, like, how do you want to split our finances? You know, like, <laughs> right. Um, there's just, yeah, I think there's a lot of aversion to dating oftentimes with people with Venus and Scorpio because, or just, you know, a lot of Scorpio planets. Cause it's like, I don't want to deal the talking. I don't want to do the talking stage. I don't want to get to know someone. Like I want to know you fully and completely and, and be there already. Um, or at least be able to go, to go there, to go straight there into, you know, the more deeper things and to skip the talking stuff and the, yeah, the pleasantries. Yeah, totally. So how do you think that if, is may manifest for those with the Pluto and Scorpio in relation to Mars and Scorpio 
or Venus in Scorpio, or even the sun. We could also draw in the moon or any Scorpio placement, but do you think that if we could talk about a generational trend that that becomes magnified and somehow, you know, this need to merge? Um, mm-hmm. Because I was married to someone with a Mars and Pluto in Scorpio. Um, and it was also this this readiness to kind of like jump right in. It's like, you know, I don't care how deep the water is or I know how to swim. I'm still going to go in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite keywords for Scorpio, especially Mars and Scorpio, um, is emotional bravery. And just having the, yeah, the bravery and the guts to just like go in and do something that, you know, other people might be like, why would you, (laughs) why, why would you take that risk? You know, go for that. But I think especially when it comes to being in a relationship and, you know, again, taking these more emotional risks, that's something that Scorpio is, is more willing to do, I think, because um, because it's like, yeah, it, it's, it's such an extreme sign. It's very all or nothing. And that's just the nature of malefics. They're extreme. But, um, but yeah, add in Pluto and then <laughs> it gets really extreme. I think that's a really good point because I think y- your generation, the Pluto and Scorpio generation, has probably dealt more with certain extremes at earlier ages. You know, you're the you're the generation that probably, as you were just going toward pubescence, was like, you know, be careful having sex. You can get AIDS. Mm-hmm. You can do this. Um, you guys have gone through a worldwide recession at an early age, and um, then the pandemic at a relatively you early 9/11. age. Nine eleven. Yeah, and nine eleven. right you know and and i know people because you know i'm a i'm not a boomer uh i am a gen xer um but i know some people take umbrage when i mention these things you know like well you know we went through it too right well you didn't go through it at 12 or 20 We, we didn't go through the same things so i think that's an interesting point to make that you're making kira thank you yeah, and Kira and I have talked about that more in episode 275, where we talked about astrological generations and the Saturn signs of millennials. Um, so we had some of that discussion, some of this about depth and like Scorpio, this discussion we're having about Scorpio wanting to go really deep with things. It makes me remember uh, a funny anecdote that my friend Micah mentioned where they said sometimes something they like to do just to annoy Scorpios is just to look at them and say, when they're like explaining something and say, it's not that serious or, or it's not that deep. <laughs> it's, Michael it's, Wood. Yeah. And, and that's such a perfect, because I sort of like, I felt my like eye like twinge, like just like hearing that. <laughs> n- n- not it's even, true. Not I, even just, be, I just had that knee jerk reaction myself. Like, right, yeah. Yeah, that would piss me off. Yeah. You're like, what do you, what do you mean? Um, so, but that's actually what's funny and going back to the whole, you know, we've talked about how Scorpio, you know, going so serious or going so deep is part of the corrective function as the sign that falls after Libra. But then what's funny is when you then go to the next sign after Scorpio into Sagittarius, that's part of the corrective function of Sagittarius is like lightning, lightening up a bit, um, you know, fun, humor, games, and, a, a much more like optimistic or sort of jovial quality is what you find in Sagittarius as part of the corrective function to to Scorpio. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always say 
it's like Scorpio, you're in the swamp <laughs> or you're in the cave. And then Sagittarius, it's like you see the light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, you can kind of lift yourself out of that dark place and have some perspective on it and maybe come to some philosophical, um, you know, ideals around what you went through, what you struggled through in Scorpio. But yeah, Scorpio is definitely the dark and sad you get more of the light for sure. Or find find the humor. I mean, because I'm thinking about Jupiter and Scorpio is to find the humor or the light through the dark tunnel. Um, and that makes me think of Lucille Ball, who had a Jupiter and Scorpio. Um, and, you know, when you look at the I Love Lucy episodes, you know, I haven't seen any of the, the recent biopics, so I can't comment on those. And I don't know how factual they are anyway. But what I do know from reading about her life and looking at her comedy you know, she was a pretty serious person who knew how to turn on her comedic sensibility. Um, and I think it was looking at pretty, you know, there's, there's a statement I heard once from a playwright that all humor is based on pain. I don't know if that's completely true, but it, it, it definitely seems when you look at like something like I Love Lucy or even general comedy, but particularly her work, um, this is where we can recognize that you know, some of the scenarios that we see in I Love Lucy are definitely dark or dealing with the darker aspects of it. But that gave her courage um, in, in very powerful ways. And one of the one thing I have to say as a, as a Star Trek lover, one way in which that courage, that bravery that you're talking about, willing to go in places where others wouldn't go, is that Lucille Ball was one of the producers, the initial producers, her studio, Desi Lu, was a producer for Star Trek. Because, you know, um, because the company was kind of like, you know, I think it was NBC just kind of like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, 86 it. It's, it, you know, it's not going to work. And she's like, no, 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 let's, let's do it. So we have her to thank for Star Trek. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, unrelated, kind of a different direction. One of the funny things uh, Scorpios are known for, and I was curious if you two had an opinion on this, is uh, Scorpio tattoos. I don't think there's any <laughs> other sign of the Zodiac that is more... Do you have a Scorpio tattoo, Sam? I do. Nice. <laughs> I see it. Um, I don't think there's any other sign of the, of the Zodiac that is more... Uh, that, that gets their sign and especially like their animal symbol like tattooed on them as often as as Scorpios do. Do you, do either of you Leo, know? Leo might challenge us a little bit, but that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think Scorpio definitely is is up there. I have seen Virgo glyph scor uh, tattoos. Mm, um, yeah, more and more, um, but I definitely think. Scorpio's up there. And I don't think just for tattoos, I think paraphernalia, period. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm literally wearing a Scorpio <laughs> necklace. <laughs> right. Or scorpion earrings yeah. or rings or shirts or whatever. I think in terms of paraphernalia, I think we hands down have more than any other sign. I think I think a big part of that is because I don't know what it is about Scorpio and astrology, but I, for, Scorpios really like tend to really connect with the stereotypes. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people do, but there's something about Scorpios and astrology and, and coming into astrology and feeling so seen um, 
maybe because it is such a dark sign that typically feels pretty, you know, misunderstood or or not fully seen. Um, and I think the fact that, yeah, astrology, Scorpios really love, tend to love astrology, in my opinion, like just, yeah, that feeling seen and witnessed and in, in who we are. Um, I certainly got into astrology when I was very young. And, you know, I remember when I was, I think around 11 or 12, I made, we had to make coat of arms. So we were learning about medieval times in school and my coat of arms was red and black and it had a huge scorpion and a Scorpio glyph on it. <laughs> and that was, yeah, six or seven, I think sixth grade. Yeah. That's so, cool. yeah, there's just like this connection, I think, um, that Scorpios in particular have particular have to astrology, even surface level stereotypes that kind of we wear that, you know, wear our Scorpio stuff as like badges of honor. I, I also find that this sign probably has more signifiers related to it than I think any other sign. In the time that I've been studying astrology, which probably is now over 30 years or more, uh, 31, 32 years, I've come across the scorpion the eagle, the phoenix, the wolf, the snake, the dove. Spider? Uh, what? Spider? Maybe spider, but th just that is seven. I don't know any other sign that has as many animals or creatures associated with it. That's true. Yeah, just cancer has the goofy like question, like lobster versus crab mix up, but that's more of an accident. Yeah. Ling linguistic issue. Um, and mm -hmm. That's a good point. I mean, should we address that at all? I know there's some books that say that there's like different levels of Scorpio or different types of Scorpio or other things like that. I've always wondered how true that is or if there's anything to some of those those metaphors. I, I think about that a lot. And where I've landed with it, and when it, I can't wait to hear what Kira has to say about it. I, I think there are levels, but I think those levels are a lot more malleable and... Um, and impermeable or impermanent, then we might give them give, give credit for it. And I can just speak to, uh, to that from my life, but also observing other Scorpios. So right. the so common you're, distinct- You're not just yeah. like a, po a Pokemon that like evolves into a different type of Scorpio. <laughs> right. At some right. point you stay there. You stay, right, exactly. I think, okay. you know, the common breakdown is that, are you a scorpion, an eagle, or a phoenix, right? And then there's this, this idea that you're gonna aspire to become the phoenix Scorpion. I think it's some days, you know, I wake up and I'm an eagle. Some days I'm a phoenix. And then other times I'm like, eh, 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 scorpion, yeah. right? So that's kind of what I, I think it happens. I think, I think it's a similar, for me, I, I view it similarly as like evolved and unevolved signs or things like that, where people think, you know, you're an unevolved Scorpio because you, whatever. <laughs> um, because you're jealous about that, you know, or whatever stereotype. Um, so I don't really, I, I think that, yeah, just like Sam said, you can be, I think oftentimes I'm the little scorpion on the floor. Um, but there are moments of being the phoenix rising from the ashes. And, yeah. and I think that is definitely part of the, you know, a lot of Scorpio's stories at times, but yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, and I, maybe some of that stuff because I don't, I don't think some of those other ideas of like eagle or phoenix probably don't go back more than a century or so. I'm guessing, and maybe it was from that period with all the theosophists where there was this like um, obsession with the idea of like evolution as this 
linear spiritual development thing rather well, than— Well, I don't know about the eagle as new to Scorpion because one of the things, you know, is that the idea of the four animals, you know, the holy animals related to the Zodiac even goes back, you know, centuries related to the Gospels, which also work in tandem in the Bible, which people have come to associate with the signs of the Zodiac. So the Taurus, the bull. Um, so the four animals that are the fixed signs have now become aligned with the fixed signs, but I don't think that starts with the Theosophists. I think that might, might be older. I don't think it's part of the Hellenistic tradition per se, but I think it's something that does develop where we could see probably in the medieval era from Christians. And it has its roots with the Lamassu with Babylonia, so the Lamassu was said to be composed of a Taurus, um, the eagle, a human being, and the lion. Uh, so it relates to those four fixed creatures. Um, so it might be related to the four fixed signs. And I think that became an extension related to the four Gospels. But that probably was before the 20th or even the late 19th century. Mm, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't traced it back. One of the things with all of the attempts to connect things of astrology in the Bible is it has to do with a lot of inferences about sort of reading into it, whether this is what they thought correct. or and whether that's like correct inference or whether it's sort of reading something into something that wasn't there. I don't, right. I don't really know. But certainly um, over the past century that there's been more become more common motifs of the idea of like, Scorpio's evolving into and then an evolving. An eagle. That's a different thing. Yeah, correct. Yeah, or or a phoenix or what have you. Maybe that ties back interestingly in a weird indirect way to the Scorpio tattoo things. So there, there, there's almost something there where a lot of the Scorpios identify sometimes with that imagery of the phoenix of something that like you know dies and goes through this transformation and then rises from its own ashes through this recurring process of like death and rebirth and going through different stages in life um, where one feels like they have died like emotionally or through loss or grief or what have you, but then eventually sort of pull themselves through that or come back and come through the other side out of the uh, sort of dark period. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons why the Scorpios also sometimes associate with some of that in imagery or wear it like a badge sometimes because that's one of the implicit things that they're acknowledging in some way. Well, that's why I got it. I mean, my tattoo, which I don't know how clear it can be seen, actually has the scorpion coming out, you know, from within me, and then the phoenix, um, which you probably can only see the the wing of the phoenix. And I made the tail as kind of like the eye and beak of the bird um, ascending into me. That's the idea I have kind of going toward my mind you know, as a reminder, not just that I am a scorpion um, or, you know, born under the sign of Scorpio, but more so as being committed to my evolution. So I got this early on and well, I got it in 2002 and it was kind of inspired by a Llewellyn calendar. <laughs> um, and so it was this image of like the eagle, I mean, not the, the phoenix rising. And I think kind of, you know, coming toward that rebirth so I, I definitely can speak to that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's definitely the transformation theme is like huge when it comes to Scorpio. And I think that that comes up a lot. People people bring that up a lot. And I think, yeah, for me, I, I definitely, um, 
I feel like related to that a lot, especially when I was younger. And I think kind of how I think about it is, again, with the processing time with Scorpio, I think it just, it just takes planets and Scorpio a really long time to, um, yeah, to process, to move through something. And so it is sort of like going into the cave and, or, you know, going to this dark place often and metaphorically dying, um, and having to move through this big emotional, you know, moment in order to, um, and having to fully move through it, I think, in order to come back out, um, kind of speaks to that where I, I, I think, yeah, Scorpios have a hard time, um, sort of, stopping, like pausing the pro- a process of, you know, grieving or what, what have you. I think it's like, you really need to let a Scorpio move through it. I always say like, let put the Scorpio in their cave, let them be in the cave for however long they need to be in their cave for, they'll come out eventually. Um, and that's sort of that, you know, regeneration process. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of, of concepts of like, um, a focus on darkness, on that which is dark or or morbid, even to some people, like the focus on things that can be off-putting or or, or dark in some way, um, but also going through that that process of going through like a dark night of the soul type period, and maybe that's part of why the moon has its fall there as well. Yeah, yeah, the dark night of the soul for sure. I'm thinking about all of us. Um, moving through the South Node <laughs> transits over the past year and these eclipses. And yeah, there's a lot of that happening. Um, yeah, it's been intense the past couple of weeks. We had that Scorpio eclipse a couple of weeks ago at the end of October here. We're recording this episode. I forgot to say the the data, but on Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, and we started, I don't know, at like 1.30 or so PM here in Denver, Colorado, with late Aquarius rising, but today's the day of the Taurus lunar eclipse with the Sun and Mercury exactly opposite to that conjoining in Scorpio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah. I think and- at this particular point, uh, Chris, you you've also well, maybe you haven't had the South Node on your Sun yet. Um, how was it for you, Kira, with the South Node going over your Sun? <laughs> If you care um, to share, you may not no, care to share. No, it, I think it the South, well, for me, I have, again, Sun-Mars-Pluto conjunction, and I have Mars in between my Sun and Pluto. And the South Node was actually parked on my Mars at 22 degrees for about five months this year. <laughs> so that hit me a lot harder than, you know, the South Node moving over my Sun. It just sitting on my Mars was really, really tough for me. Um, but, you know... I, the way I think about transits, it was a little bit less about the sun and more about it being the ruler of my sixth house. <laughs> but um, I think in general, yeah, there was there was this like draining of um, like vitality for sure. But also um, I, I think I think about Scorpio suns a lot and how we have this like knowing. I think there's a little bit of Maybe not we know better, but I think there's like this, we know, like I know, I don't know how else to say it besides like, a, yeah, a knowing that I think a lot of us, you know, have. Um, and I think the South Node moving through 
maybe it's, you know, ninth house sun type of thing too, but the south south node moving through has kind of been like, you don't know everything. Like release all the, the shit that you think you know, <laughs> um, because there's a lot you, you don't know. Um, yeah, that's kind of been a big part of it for me. For me, it was interesting. Um, I, I thought it would be some drainings related to my vitality, so I was concerned about that because you know, I'm a 29-degree, 45-minute uh, sun. So as soon as the, the node shifted, it was pretty much close to being on my sun. And that was in January. I did have some fatigue, but it wasn't actually as strong as I thought it would be. How it manifested for me is that I was hacked and I lost my Instagram account. Mm. So some aspect related to my identity, which kind of brings forth some dimension of what Scorpio might be about. And that was really powerful for me because I lost, you know, maybe even, you know, six months before my, or seven months before I lost my Twitter account of 13 years. Wow. And um, through my own fault, but I lost it. It wasn't Elon Musk. Um, but I lost it. So I was like, I'm not going to lose this Instagram account. Um, so I, I had to fight for it. I think that's some other aspect of Scorpio. Like there's loss, but then you have to come back from it. And I also even used magic, which I don't, I haven't done in 12 years um, or nearly 12 years. Um, so I had to use magic in order to get it. And Pretty much within, I would say, 72 hours of losing my account, I was fortunate to get it back. And I even called the hacker and cussed him out because he left his number. Oh, you know, they <laughs> okay, That was hilarious. You sent me the text of that, and you're the only person I know who got their Instagram account hacked, and then you were, like, taunting your hacker and, like, like oh, messing have, with them. I've been taunting. I have... <laughs> I have a lot of screenshots of me taunting hackers as well. <laughs> Back when it when I thought that would matter, but now we kind of yeah, nothing really works nowadays with Instagram. But yeah, I did send it to you. <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah, I sent it to you. Like, yeah, I custom out. <laughs> Shout out to our sponsor for this episode, which is the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs and Calendar. Honeycomb Almanacs are custom-built with your natal chart and favorite house system. Your Honeycomb Almanac tracks your natal transits alongside mundane transits so that you can write down your own personalized forecasts. You can customize the location for your Almanac and find the exact moment when transits occur in your time zone. There are also many ways to personalize your Almanac with optional plugins like solar return charts, community artwork, or zodiac releasing. Honeycomb Almanacs and Calendars are available in print and digital editions starting at just $10 for a six-month digital almanac. Find out more at honeycomb.co. Also, shout out to the astrology software program that we use here on the podcast, which is called SolarFire Gold. SolarFire is one of the most popular programs that astrologers use to calculate charts. It can be used to calculate and create a database of astrological charts. It has the ability to calculate hundreds of different techniques, and you can also use it to animate charts and move them forward and backward in time. You can get a 15% discount on SolarFire by using the promo code AP15 when you purchase the program through the Astrolabe website at alabe.com. For Mac users, we recommend a program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which was made by the creators of SolarFire and includes a number of modern and ancient techniques, as well as the ability to animate charts. 
Get a 15% discount on Astro Gold by using the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 when you purchase the program through their website at astrogold.io. Finally, if you're looking to get an astrological consultation with a professional astrologer, check out our new Recommended Astrologers page on the podcast website at theastrologypodcast.com consultations. There you'll find astrologers who offer a wide variety of different consultations, including natal astrology, electional, rectification, synastry, and horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers listed on our page when you use the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. So usually around this point, I like to transition into uh, contrasting the sign of Scorpio, as we're talking about now, with some of the other signs of the zodiac just in order to get a better idea of what Scorpio re represents by contrasting it with other things that it's not, either in order to see similarities or sometimes differences. So we've talked quite a bit already about the comparison between Libra and Scorpio, and we've talked a little bit about the comparison between Scorpio and Sagittarius. Um, have we talked much about the opposing? I know we've talked a little bit about it, but maybe really quickly we could run through some contrasts between uh, Taurus and Scorpio, um, if if the two of you feel like it. Yeah, but we also talked about Aries in contrast mm -hmm. as yeah. the other sign of Mars. I feel pretty good about that one. Let me yeah, see. Yeah. I just want to mention that we um, some of the notes. So Camille had written down some contrasts between Taurus and Scorpio, some of which I thought were good. Um, a few of them were Taurus as simplicity. Um, and actually, I have a graphic here. So Taurus as simplicity and Scorpio as complexity. Um, this one I really like is Taurus as material security versus Scorpio as emotional security. Um, Taurus as comfort versus Scorpio as discomfort. Uh, Taurus as physical realities versus Scorpio as psychological realities. Taurus as a saying is, it is what it is, versus Scorpio saying, make it make sense. I like I really, that. Yeah, I really <laughs> yeah. like that one too. Uh, do you want to pause on that one for a moment? No. Well, yeah, I think that really does get it. I mean, Scorpio as a sign of Mars is going to really have a certain level of investment and direction and energy and passion toward something. Whereas Taurus is like <clears throat> practical thinking like it is what it is. That's what's going to be. Yeah. I feel like Scorpio is very probing or Mars at least is very, it's like wants to probe and understand and get to the bottom of things. And so, yeah, make it make sense. <laughs> was literally, that makes me think of my, yeah, you know, obsession into early obsession into astrology is just like, I need to understand how this works. Like I need to understand how this makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's not just <laughs> enough to know what something is, but needing to understand why and what the underlying motivation is. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, there's a, a, a internal sense of discontentment or even uneasiness with sort of like going along with the program unless you, you really understand why you're doing that or what the motivation is underlying everything. Yeah, yeah. that's what led me deeper into astrology, not just in mm -hmm. terms of where I started, but there was a point um, that I remember well, and you know, after 10 years of studying astrology, where I, I wanted to know more 
why things were as they were. So for instance, like, well, why is Mars exalted in Capricorn? Mm -hmm. Why is it fallen in Aries for Saturn? You know, where did these rulerships come from? Was it some measure of a study, you know, and that kind of led me more to traditional astrology. I was, I was literally about to say, like, yeah, that's probably why all of us are so into traditional astrology, too. It's like wanting to know the the why underneath it all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Although it's funny because sometimes I've noticed that some people, that tendency can be used against them. And in modern times, we're seeing a lot of this where people are, like, convinced that things are, like, more complicated than they are, that there's people behind the scenes controlling things. And this is, you know, what leads to different like like conspiratorial thinking or to different, um, you know, people trying to sort of mislead people politically or into different political things under the, by giving them an impression or appealing to that underlying sense of like wanting to know the inner workings of things because the, the surface level. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, the surface level, or sometimes reality of things that are that sometimes things are much more chaotic, or that nobody's in charge of things, that nobody's really like run, driving the bus. Sometimes when it comes to world events, is so much more unsettling in some ways than the idea that there's like somebody there like pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to what we were talking about with some of the conspiratorial thinking that can seize Scorpio in that pursuit to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to kind of assign assign an agent to it, you know, or agency to things. <laughs> my dad, my Scorpio dad's job was as an agent. So that made me laugh. But, um, <laughs> but it, it reminds me of the phrase, which is very common now, which is touch grass but as the antidote to like the Scorpio paranoia is that Taurus, like just get, get back into your physical world and out of this mental, emotional space of, um, you know, overthinking things or, you know, looking for, you know, the bad guy. <laughs> it's like, go out and touch grass, like get back, but get back into your body essentially would, would be the antidote to that and um, c- come back to reality or come back to earth, right? Like reground yourself, which would be the, yeah, the Taurus, <laughs> the Taurus um, polarity of that. Yeah. And I, I think both Taurus and Scorpio are concerned with actualization, so we could say that Scorpio may be more geared towards self-actualization beyond the body, whereas Taurus is looking at actualization through the body and through the sensuality of it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sometimes the senses, that was something we talked about a lot in the Taurus episode, but just the um embracing the things that are good about the sense realm, like taste and smell and and touch or or color or other things like that. Um, And yeah, a lot of those things versus there's almost more of a a psychological take in the the idea of like depth psychology or sometimes Scorpio is being interested in psychology as an underlying motivating factor in people's actions is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I know, I think Freud had like Scorpio rising, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's, it's wanting to understand people's motivations. You know, I think that was, that's, that's probably been the the longest standing aspect of my interests. You know, I once wanted to be a criminologist 
and not so much, you know, and I still study crime, but I don't study crime like, oh, because I want to know how to do it. I, I want to understand sometimes the thinking behind it. You know, for me, I mean, I'll divulge a personal issue. You know, many crimes, especially murder committed, are I find them horrifying. At, at the same time, I'm like, but why did you do it? Like, you know, it's kind of like what what is kind of happening objectively or what we can observe in in your thinking and movement through it. So that's kind of one other thing that I know that, you know, in fact, one of the archetypes or stereotypes related to Scorpios is the detective um, kind of wanting to unlock or see the mysteries um, or understand the mysteries behind things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and loves a good mystery. Mm-hmm. And, and like the unraveling or the um, getting to the bottom of that mystery. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So that's good. Um, Taurus as simplicity versus Scorpio as complexity is kind of interesting as well. Thinking about Scorpio as like a, a complex sign. Um, but I think that I simplicity is more like Occam's razor. It's not like <clears throat> there's no real complexity to Taurus, mm-hmm. but kind of more going to what is the likely practical, uh, simplest solution or idea related to something. Right. Um, it makes me think of David Hume, um, Taurus philosopher, and one of the earliest, you know, recorded in, in Western civilization or you know, most recent Western civilization atheists, you know, who kind of said like, well, there probably isn't a God and here's why, or clockmaker, you know, the big thing um, that was kind of like this, you know, the idea during the 17th and 18th century was a clockwork universe. And he was like, well, maybe there's no clockmaker. <laughs> maybe there's just been the clock. Um, and, and so I think, you know, Torians are often led to like, what's, you know, it's kind of more so um, this thing from Sherlock Holmes. When you ruled out the, imp- the impossible, no matter how improbable, whatever remains is the truth. And I think that might be something that really ap- appeals to Torians. It's kind of like, what's kind of the, what's the residue left at the bottom? <laughs> yeah, that's a really great point. I like that you invoked Occam's razor there and just the notion that um, the simplest explanation is often like the most likely explanation for something mm-hmm. is a very Taurus thing, as opposed to Scorpio, where the tendency is to try to go to the more complex, like obscure um, explanation for things. Yeah, because I don't like this this stereotype that goes for Taurus is like you know they're simpletons, you know, basically akin to hobbits, just want to be on a shire um, and just live the simple life. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, so when I read simplicity, you know, it doesn't mean that's what Camille meant, but sometimes that is the interpretation that people often have of Torian. Boring. Or boring. Yeah. Wait, if Taurus are hobbits in this analogy, does that mean like Scorpios are like Gollum or something? We're orcs. No kidding. Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Actually, I don't know. That might be apt. Um... I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> um so well yeah, the the obsession of something of like the ring and and something else versus mm-hmm. and, and something that got twisted cuz Gollum like was a um 
Hobbit, but then mm-hmm. his like uh, obsession with the thing led him to like kill his friend, and then he it like twisted his his body and mind and everything else through the obsession of something. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that we we could spend a lot of time we'll on that the, for on Joe. That, yeah. yeah, we'll have to bring back our like resident Lord of the Rings. We we'll actually have two of those. It's um, Joe, and then also uh, our other Becca. Sagittarius. Yeah, Becca. <laughs> yeah, Becca. Becca. Yeah, Becca right. Tarnas. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I know nothing, so that's why oh, I'm yeah, sitting I, here I just have smiling. It, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I don't know anything. Smile and and nod when the Lord of the Rings nerds are talking. That's usually <laughs> a, a good good idea. Um, all right, so let's go can into I just some. Say, up. Can I just say yeah, one thing about Scorpio Taurus? I always have a hard time um, talking about the polarity because I find them to be so similar. Actually, like I find them to be so so similar, and and I think out of all of the you know polarity combos in the zodiac, I truly think that Scorpio and Taurus are the most magnetic, um, and I think part of that is because they're both. They're both um, nocturnal or feminine signs. They're both connected to like the material um, in a way. And I just find those two signs and people like Scorpio, Taurus, couples. Mars, Venus, yeah. It's, yeah, it's the Mars, Venus and it's the physical Mars, Venus. And so I just had to say that like you'll see Scorpio, Taurus couples that are together for, you know, forever essentially. And they just don't, they don't separate and they have a really, and then, they have like Taurus Scorpio children. And then it's just such a deep, potent combination. Um, and yeah, I just, I just wanted to, to I'm glad that. you said that. I think Taurians yeah. just have better PR. I think <laughs> they're really, you know, um, they can be very secretive. Um, I know many Taurian influenced people who are even more secretive in a real way than Scorpios. But it's always what's associated with Scorpio. Um, Victorians, you know, it's like, yeah, we don't. Just we don't, as you don't. possessive, just, just as jealous, just as stubborn. And, and, and I also, just find them to be so And we similar. don't know anything about what's going on behind the scenes with them. You know, these particular things. Um, relational. Um, what's, what's fascinating to me is Taurus-influenced people often are... Um, loved in a certain way, maybe even held in some measure of esteem <clears throat> where there's sometimes this aversion or distrust often associated with Scorpios. It's like, well, you're Scorpio. Oh, you're Taurus. Oh, that's the nice, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, you know, I think of uh, Bill Clinton's Moon in Taurus, right, as an example of that. Um, or is he a Taurus rising? No. It's a but, Libra rising. Libra rising, Libra rising yeah. with a Moon in Taurus, Yeah. I think his moon in Taurus, where, you know, people still have this high regard, you know, despite all the things that have been associated with Bill Clinton, you know, for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's charming. something, the charming aspect Cozy. of it. Yeah. I know this is not, you know, I'm, I'm, I am not lionizing Hitler, but Hitler, the, the Taurus, right? Libra rising as well. Also immensely charming. Um, people don't think about that, but if you do any research or look at anything in relation to his life, he could be a, an immensely charming and persuasive person. We could maybe argue that, you know, Biden's Taurus Moons um, saves him from his Scorpio stuff, too. And or his him sad self. His, yeah, his, his exalted chart ruler as well. Yeah. But, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and um, with Taurus and Scorpio, one of the ways that they connect and get along really well together, I think, is that both, um, as their their connection as both fixed signs, find a lot of comfort with that which is familiar. And like mm-hmm. once they've found like that thing they like, they can both just do that thing over and over again, um, almost in a way that might come off as like an obsession or to the exclusion of like trying different things. But it's just um, being able to, there's something to appreciate about being able to embrace uh, something fully that you like and like knowing what you like and having those very clearly defined tastes and then sticking with what you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the fixity. Consistency, yeah. In- in- inconsistency. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, why what, why fix what's not broke type of thing, right? What is that phrase? My Mercury and Sag is, is showing. Yeah, don't fix what's, <laughs> don't not, bro- bro- don't, don't, don't don't fix what's not broken. Right? Yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> one, and I've also heard it explained by a Taurus in the way that made sense and resonated to me of like, like with foods or things like that, like why experiment with something uh, you know if you have a choice between getting that that meal that you know you really like versus trying something new because if you try something new you could end up with something that you don't like at all and that you would have preferred like just eating that one thing that you already know that you like and there's some connection and similarity there between Taurus and Scorpio in that way yeah mm-hmm. I yeah. agree all right yeah. so that's pretty good let's talk about the other um fixed signs at this point, which are, uh, that we haven't talked about, which are, are Tor or Leo and then also Aquarius. Um, so we've talked a little bit about Scorpio and Leo at this point. What are, what are some of the other points that might be good when, when you, that come to mind when you think of those two signs and some of their similarities or differences? Well, I think about how Leo, you know, we have the domiciled sun, um, the bright, you know, sun at its brightest and and fullest and best versus Scorpio. And it's like the declining sun or, you know, the sun that's losing light um, or has lost quite a bit of light at this point. And I think um, the overcoming nature of Leo always comes to mind to me, like how Leo overcomes Scorpio in terms of, um, you know, the, however you want to talk about it. (laughs) Um, And yeah, just how there's this, how this, how the Leo, um, you know, personality or the solar aspects of Leo, how, how brightly Leo shines um, can almost be too much for Scorpio a lot of the time. Um, Whereas I think Scorpio is again, more interested in what's in the shadows, (laughs) what's underneath all of that. And I think the blind, the blinding light of Leo can be too much sometimes for Scorpio, um, and I think you I don't, know the flat, yeah. flashy, flashiness is yeah, another the word. flashiness, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I, you know, there's still something with fixed signs. I think all the fixed signs just like love each other. Honestly, even the even the squares and oppositions. I think there's um, what Leo and Scorpio can find consistency and is again like the loyalty the the need for like loyalty um and like honor and consistency i guess from another that's where you know they come together often um and also just like being (laughs) like badasses like um there's something yeah the ego piece i think i think that scorpio can really appreciate the confidence that a leo has 
So I think Mars and and the Sun share that. You know, the um, the the self centeredness. Honestly, the um, not a bad way. I think selfishness is not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, I think the Sun and Mars um, share that, and I think that Leo and Scorpio can appreciate that in each other. Yeah, yeah. and I think. <clears throat> sorry, Chris. Go on. Uh, I was just going to say, just the um, they share the ability to to put the center on oneself and one's ego in some way, um, and maybe Scorpio admires. And that what's different about it is the sun as a masculine or a diurnal sign, its ability to just like shine and put itself out there, as opposed to Scorpio not necessarily wanting to make itself known or or shine as much necessarily, but to take a more I don't want to say passive role, but um, to shine sort of like internally in in some way. Yeah, and because it's the sun's domicile, it's effortless, right? There's there's this this effusiveness of brilliance that can come Mm -hmm. from Leo. Um, And not just in terms of intellectual brilliance, but there's something that je ne sais quoi, you know, that that's something that kind of comes through that that is still attractive for the Scorpio-influenced person. I think that's also something to couple with, you know, Scorpio, Leo is also kind of the the power couple, whether we're talking about that as an actual relationship or, you know, kind of a duality where there's a, they both jointly have a sense of power, whereas Scorpio might be the power behind the throne, where Leo is more the throne. Mm. Bill and Hillary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's literally Bill and Hillary. That's that's kind of what I was getting to as well, the power couple. Um, and and yeah, how the Leo can kind of take the spotlight, but the Scorpio can kind of, you know, run what's happening um, behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Yeah, because she was famously, he had a Leo stellium and she had a Scorpio, has a Scorpio stellium. Yeah, and I think they manifest that I think for, you know, I I think it's Hillary who made Bill in many ways possible. Um, And the weakness of Leo related to Scorpio um, is that Leo doesn't seem to know how to have its shine work for others. I think this is something that's a consistent um, struggle for Bill Clinton as one example. The other one is Barack Obama. Barack Obama hasn't successfully been able to lend his light to his party. And when I say to his party in terms of endorsement and, you know, stumping, it doesn't always translate for for the people he he goes for. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the keywords that we're picking up here is like privacy with Scorpio versus publicness with Leo. Mm -hmm. Um, And that seems like a strong contrast and both a, a basic tension between those two signs, but also a way in which that tension might um, complement the other if they're able to find some sort of balance through that square. Yeah. You know, All right. mm-hmm. where the sun can lend its energy toward Mars and Mars can lend its might without resentment, especially because it's water. I mean, like I said, the sun is at home. Mars is also at home. Um but it becomes a, a different dynamic, um, you know, in terms of the hot and dry planets coming together. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. All right. So that's Scorpio and Leo. Uh, the other one we haven't touched on at all is uh, Scorpio versus Aquarius. And one of the things, so Aquarius is a fixed air sign. Um, and one of the things Camille wrote down, which I thought was really good, was um, mental fixidity, uh, holding on to mindsets, ideals, ideas, and visions that can be shared with the community. Um, I think those are good sort of like crossovers uh, between Scorpio and Aquarius or, or contrasts. Here, do you want to go first? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I see both of you smiling. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, here we bring in the two malefics, right? Mars, Mars and Saturn um, in, in their preferred domiciles too. And I, I have both malefics and these signs as well. So I think about this square quite a bit um, and how, yeah, I mean, with with Mars and Scorpio, we're talking about, you know, fixed water signs, so depth really, and really wanting to get to the bottom of things like we've been talking about. But with Aquarius, an air sign, I automatically picture, you know, Saturn up there in the clouds and, being detached um, in, in, in a big way. And Scorpio is anything but detached, right? It's like so deeply attached <laughs> to things. And so I think that's one of the primary differences we get with Scorpio and Aquarius is like, you know, being immersed in something like in water versus being completely, I shouldn't say completely removed, but, you know, being removed enough so that you're looking at things from from a perspective, right? From a bird's eye view, as opposed to being like in it um, and enveloped in it, like Scorpio. And that's that's always like I think an issue I find with Aquarius um, and Aquarius placements is like in that square. It's like I'm like in it, and you're like over there viewing it, <laughs> viewing me be in it. You know. Well, I'm, I guess we should. I, I'll definitely weigh in, but. As a double Aquarius well, influence person, Chris, yeah, how do you, you, have, how you do, have it all. What's your dynamic or thought about it about um, Aquarius I, and Scorpio? I think the similarity between the two is both being fixed signs, and uh, you know, Aquarius. There can be a rigidity as a crossover keyword between the two of them um, that makes a lot of sense because you know, Scorpio will grab onto something and won't let go as a fixed sign, and then Aquarius, especially intellectually, uh, as a Saturn-ruled sign, will um, grab onto something intellectually and then will be very um, unwilling to let go of that as an intellectual position. Although it's interesting that Aquarius is approaching it more intellectually, whereas Scorpio is approaching it more emotionally at its core, um, but both share that process, that similarity of, of not wanting to let go of something or having a tension with that. Um, I guess part of the disconnect is with Aquarius is that there's more of a coolness and more of an emotional detachment with Aquarius, which I think is difficult for Scorpio because um, it's much more emotionally invested in in everything it does. Yeah, I can resonate with what both of you are saying. <clears throat> I, I tend to think, well, I, I've said when I was younger, and I'm going to put this as younger, and I mean 30 years ago, I, I remember discovering as I was learning more astrology and, of course, learning it more on the sun sign level, I felt like a, like Aquarians really believed in truth with the capital T. And I remember one of the, the oddest 
conversations I've ever had in general with a person. I won't say ever, but me being a little dramatic, Moon and Leo. Um, but I had with an Aquarius is I used to do a traveling um, theater show and eight o'clock in the morning about to you know perform in front of some kids. Uh, I we got into this deep conversation about truth um, with this other with another actor who was an Aquarian or is an Aquarian. And um, I said, well, truth is a horror and I fuck her on occasion. And she lost it. Like she got so upset. I mean, almost frothing at the mouth. Truth is real. Truth is not a horror, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is fascinating. Like you really believe in truth. So I started poking at other Aquarians, not saying the same thing, but like I discovered many of them really believed in this idea, this loftiness related to truth. So I think what I saw in my scorpionic self and then saw it subsequently in others in relation to that ideal self related to Aquarius is that scorpions often battle cynicism um, or the relativism of truth other than emotional truth or visceral truth compared to something that's more rarefied and intellectual and open. The other thing I have found about Aquarians is that they tend to want to think, like you said, bird's eye view, but I think on the ground that looks more like um, more infinite diversity and infinite comp combinations, more different possibilities of things where Scorpio is like, well, I want to focus on one thing. I want to go for that. So I think that's another challenging aspect that can happen in that dynamic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, when when you have the two malefics too, again, you're talking both both deal with extremes and I think both deal with um, sort of being outside of the the norm in some way um, because of those extremes. And, and yeah, maybe Scorpio being more attracted to, you know, what, what lies underneath and therefore the more darker, mysterious things in life. And I think Aquarius is also um, similarly attracted to different things, but it's more about, yeah, what lies on the margins? What are these things that sort of aren't being paid attention to in the center? Um, and, and yeah, I think, yeah, both have very, a lot of both are often othered in some way or, or, you know, placed in sort of these other ca categories and can find a lot of, um, can find a lot of camaraderie in, in that. That's a really good point. And the connection with, you know, both malefics, there's some sort of real contrast between like Taurus and Leo as a team, almost representing that, which is bright and like beautiful and vibrant and shines versus Scorpio and Aquarius ruled by the two malefics, Mars and Saturn, and uh, focusing more on like that which is dark or sometimes morbid or, or you know, gothic or um, more broadly, sometimes that can result in like a pessimism or being able to see the shortcomings or the weaknesses of something. Yeah, um, that's well said. I think yeah. it's something mm -hmm. that Scorpio and Aquarius share a lot in, coming, in common. Yeah, and that's Absolutely. also true by Antitia. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. Scorpio is the Antitia point to Aquarius, and Taurus is the Antitia point to Leo and vice versa. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and because um, that's that's a Saturn thing that comes through the Saturn connection of um, being able to see the errors, the the weaknesses, or the faults in something. And yeah, Scorpio also it can see the 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 weaknesses or the soft spots or like the holes in the armor where uh, an opponent has a weakness that could be you know used to to exploit or destroy them or what have you. Yeah, and you but, know, whereas the Sun and Venus. Have a complementarity and and actually a high regard for beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, although one of the things I should mention is that those the, the awareness of the faults in other people or the weaknesses that Scorpio and Aquarius share in common. Um, one of the less known things is that comes also along with it with an intense awareness of their own weaknesses yeah. or. Uh, faults or shortcomings and a, and a tendency to focus on those. So it's not just projected outwards, but also inwards. And, uh, and that goes to that inner jihad that we opened up with, you know, for Scorpio particularly, where they become, become keenly aware of their own faults. Mm-hmm. Maybe too much so. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's like making me self-conscious thinking about it. <laughs> 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 like way too aware. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's good for the modalities. Why don't we move on to the triplicity comparison? We've touched on this a little bit in the past, but just the connection between Scorpio and the other two water signs, which are Cancer and Pisces. Um, what do you What do you two think about those those signs? I think what comes what immediately comes to mind for me is like again the how the benefics like those other two signs a lot more than Scorpio Um, (laughs) and how, yeah, you know, how nothing exalts in, in Scorpio. Um, We only find our, our Mars, you know, that does really, and Mars does extremely well in Scorpio. Um, But yeah, as opposed to, you know, Jupiter exalting in um, can- in Cancer and, and domicile in Pisces and Venus exalting in Pisces and you know there's simplicity in Cancer of course but um, and the Moon the Moon of course ruling Cancer and so yeah to me it's it kind of like Scorpio really stands out as the more I think like volatile environment out of the triplicity um, and. And yeah, I, I'll I'll just start with that. I'll see where you want to go with that, Sam. I I think that's a very good point. I never thought about it that way. I mean, um, I I think you know even as a a Pisces rising, what I think you know as a sign of Jupiter for Pisces, it's going to be more interested also as a water sign exploring the worlds within. So there's a lot of like you said volatility. But always kind of thinking, you know, in terms of coming to a broader vista rather than the narrowness that happens with water, mm-hmm. um, uh, with Scorpio as water, like the pipes that you you alluded to with Austin's idea or metaphor. But, you know, I think of, you know, lakes, oceans related to Pisces. And Cancer is always looking for the safe harbor as a sign of the moon. It also, like you mentioned, exalts Jupiter. So I think it's kind of finding the the safe place where Scorpio is decidedly not <laughs> or willing to kind of find, you know, it's willing to find safety in crisis, 
Whereas that's not necessarily the impulse for for cancer, for sure, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Pisces deal with deals with the volatility despite itself, not because it's seeking it out. That's a good point about cancer. Um, it's uh, very nurturing, and there's a tendency towards things of comfort and familiarity and building bonds. Um, for Camille writes, which reinforce safety, and that there's kind of similarity there with Taurus, which is the sign of the exaltation of the moon. Um, whereas Scorpio, you get this um, dis- defensiveness, and one of the keywords that Camille used was um, emotional warfare or psychological warfare, and seeking that as a sort of protection or a defense against um, emotional or potential emotional threats which is kind of an interesting way to think Mm -hmm. about it. That there's a similar impulse towards like emotional security, but one of them is through uh, almost like nurturing or or creating a safe environment, just creating the environment unto itself versus um, doing it in a protective or almost like defensive sense with Mars and Scorpio. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Even though there's these differences that we're highlighting, I think there's more of a focus usually for those who are highly influenced by these water signs in in comfort and connection with each other, though. Um, I find that, you know, to have a deeper connection with someone, I find, and then I've observed this in others, they have to have some still, you know, measure of water present in their chart. Um, and I think that's something that often, you know, influences the water influence person, you know, you know, the belonging to the water tribe. It's really interesting, you know, even thinking about, you know, the, the podcast, the water trio, right. You know, it's, you know, it's Kelly, Alicia, uh, Yusuf and Cassandra Tyndall, um, you know, they came together on this sense of water. Not to say that there are, there hasn't been a fire trio or anything like that, but um, water signs seem to seek out each other and have this connection, like how, you know, I bonded with Chris, oh God, 17, 18 years ago. Um, and, you know, we've stayed together, even though sometimes it gets tempestuous, right, between us. I think there's still this rooted understanding, a tacit, um, maybe even slightly inexplicable understanding that one has in terms of water. Yeah, the ability to build or forge connections through mutual bonds of like trust and yeah, and that that's something that can transcend or, or, you know, help to make things last longer than they otherwise might. Right, you know, even when there's an intellectual disagreement among water, there still can be this place where I feel you, right? And we might even say that, I feel you. Yeah. Mm, That's good. Yeah, I I feel like with other water signs, um, there's this degree of like emotional safety that I feel um, where for some reason I, I tend to like date people with no water in their charts or that's happened to me a couple of times. And it's very always very stark um, in that, you know, there isn't that 
that feeling of like, I'm safe to cry in front of you, right? And it's not like they're done anything to make me feel unsafe. It's just that there isn't that, I I know I'm not going to be seen in that way or felt in that way. Um, Whereas like, you know, I, I meet up with a friend who's triple, triple Pisces, right? And it's like, immediately it's like pouring two cups of water into a bowl. It's like, you can fall into each other. You can just, you know, melt into each other in a way that is um, so needed and so nourishing and um, very boundless, which goes into the issue (laughs) of water signs getting together often is that um, there tends to be a a true lack of boundaries, which again, can be so beautiful and so nourishing and and necessary a lot of the times, Um, especially for us Scorpios who just want to (laughs) merge. Um, but, but yeah, and then it can, it can be a problem for sure as well when there's, um, yeah, there's a lack of boundaries and again, you don't know whose emotions you're feeling at at a certain point. And yeah. Well said. Yeah. I think the other thing too, going back to what you were talking about encountering, you know, the non-water folk, right. Which is the other three, um, elements, but you know, what can be challenging, especially for the assertive putative masculine signs is recognizing that there's nothing need to, there's no need to fix when you have the experience of water. Um, Whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever emotion that is, the anger or sadness or the joy that one experiences it, you just can be in it. And that seems to be understood with water signs. Like when one, someone's pissed, it's like, well, why are you pissed? You know, blah, blah, blah. No need to talk you out of it. I'm going to let you feel it and maybe we'll take a walk or I'll just kind of just sit in it with you, not say anything. You know, there can be that experience of it. Yeah. It's like water can be really reflective. Right. And so you can really, um, I think that other water signs are able to really like reflect things back to you and, and just again, hold you in in a way where you can really feel seen, um, yeah, I think, I think water signs need each other for that. Yeah. And, and other people need us for that, but I think, yeah, we need each other for that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, strong, building strong connections through a depth of emotion. Um, yeah. I think that's a really great point that Scorpio shares with both cancer and Pisces and cancer and Scorpio have a tendency sometimes to get um, defensive or can be emotionally defensive, um, especially at perceived threats, but then eventually can sort of open up or come out of their shells. Um, whereas for um, Scorpio and, and Pisces, definitely that connection through emotional depth and the ability maybe even just to like cry or to bond in that way can be present. Um, there is something that Pisces doesn't have, though it doesn't have that same defensive quality that Scorpio, especially and to lesser extent Cancer, have. And sometimes I think from the Scorpio's perspective that Pisces then can look, um, I'm trying to think of the term, like what's the, the term Defenseless? for that? Vulnerable. Defenseless, but um, and yeah, but also um, na- naive sometimes I think can come mm. off as like emotionally naive where mm-hmm. the Scorpio can be like, don't you know that you're gonna be you know, hurt or like emotionally hurt by that? Um, versus the Pisces is just like, that's not 
the, the emotional openness is it's so open that that's not necessarily something that they're concerned about. Also, I always, I can't hide from Piscean influence people. Meaning, you know, if if I say like, if they ask me, you know, like my best friend is a Pisces, you know, how you doing today, Sam? Oh, I'm okay. Right. Uh, are, you, are you sure? <laughs> how do they know? Right? This, <laughs> there's a knowing, um, there's a depth, and maybe that taps into what we've said about water before. And you were talking about this, Kira, the sense of knowing. And they may have that sense of knowing. The funny thing about Pisces, because they're immutable sign, they may know, as versus the fixity of, of, of Scorpio water, they may know, like, you know, you don't want to get involved in that relationship or do that thing. Like, yeah, I know, but here I go. <laughs> um, and Scorpio's like, why would you do that? Yeah. So it is you like know, you should it, know better. You should know better. So it it's sometimes a naivete, but sometimes it's kind of like, eh, what the f? You know, you know, you only live once. You know, YOLO. Yeah. I I think with Pisces, I always think about you know the fish can so easily squirm out of things. They can so easily escape, and Pisces need for for escape. And I think that Scorpio, the fixity of Scorpio can get very frustrated with Pisces mutability. And I think against, I think Scorpio and Pisces can both be willing to like go, go down and merge, but Pisces might not be down to merge for forever. The right. way that Scorpio is. Exactly. Pisces is down for the experience, that was um, nice. but then it wants to <laughs> swim away and find something else. Yeah. You can't like, you can't hold on to a fish for that long. And that, that could bother Scorpio for sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. The um, yeah, the desire to merge singularly versus as a mutable sign with Pisces, the desire to merge with you know a lot of people or with the universe or what have mm -hmm. you. I I dated a Pisces and that was a big problem. Like you're Mr. Mayor, <laughs> you're you're out here with everyone else, and you know I needed I needed that for me. And I think that's a big, I mean, we could talk about that and broaden that in terms of mutability in general. Like with Scorpio, I think it's very important to stick to the script or to the agreement. Because when you flip yeah. the script, it becomes a real problem. <laughs> I don't think the mutables understand the nature of flipping the script. Yeah, or, or focus. Like Scorpio is very focused. Right. And mutable signs, especially Pisces, there's not as much focus necessarily on a singular thing. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's definitely more scattered energy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Um, with Pisces what? last... Oh, go ahead. Oh, you got, no, you, I, I have one more thing to say about Scorpio Pisces, but... I was just going to mention optimism and escapism, but you already mentioned escapism for Pisces. Um Pisces, I wanted to mention optimism just because it seems to me oftentimes by contrast like an inherently optimistic sign. And that's kind of goes back to what I was saying before that it can come sometimes come off as naive to Scorpio, but there's something about what the two of them bring to each other that can sometimes be helpful, I think. Mm hmm. Yeah, the optimi I, I always say my Pisces rising saves me. Like people would hate me and I'd be a total Martian bitch if it wasn't for Pisces rising. Um like yeah, it keeps me you know, the Jupiterian nature that kind of keeps me afloat um and not just like sunken into the the Scorpio swamp. Um but no, I, I was gonna say just how Scorpio and Pisces are both um both tend to be a little bit more interested in 
like, yeah, the mystical, magical, mysteriousness of life as well. Um, and, and yeah, just how Pisces tends to um, find, be really drawn to that aspect of Scorpio, the mysteriousness of Scorpio. And I think Scorpio can be really drawn to the the mystical nature of Pisces. And that's another thing they tend to to have in common. That's true. That's a really great point. Because I think a, like a phrase Scorpio and Pisces might share in common is the phrase, Every, everything happens for a reason, um, but then they may have different sort of perspectives about why they think everything happens for a reason. Right. Yeah. You know, Pisces may say it's illumination and Scorpio may say Illuminati. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. Pi- Pisces is like, because there's some greater purpose or, <laughs> yeah. or you know, entity or, or, you know, deity or something behind things. And Scorpio is like, because there's somebody behind the scenes that's like pulling the strings or because there's some, you know, master plan or something behind things. Right. I like that. All right. So that's pretty good for Scorpio and Pisces. Let me look back at my chart of the signs of the Zodiac to see what contrasts we're missing. Um, it looks like the ones we haven't do- done are the sextile signs. So Scorpio and Virgo and Scorpio and Capricorn. And then finally also the inconjunct sign which is Scorpio and Gemini. Mm-hmm. You mean Sagittarius <laughs> and Gemini? Um, I thought you said Scorpio. Uh, yeah, we haven't looked at... Did we look at Sagittarius? Oh, we, yeah, we haven't looked at Sag either. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, why don't we look at Sag really quick okay. then? Because that's, that's a nice transition because that's the other Jupiter-ruled sign after besides Pisces. So we've talked a little bit about how... Scorpio can be kind of like pessimistic or kind of dark, and then all of a sudden, when you get to Sagittarius, things open up and get more more bright, more optimistic. Um, optimism, I've been really realizing recently, is like a really core, important driving force behind Sagittarius, and that's something that can sometimes act as a contrast or a tension between Scorpio and Sagittarius, where for Sagittarius, that internal optimism and need to like almost like project a positive outcome for the future um, and, and almost like, like manifest that constantly or at least have the attempt to is like really important as a guiding force for Sagittarius. And it can sometimes run up against some issues with Scorpio where that um, pessimism or negative t- negativity or seeing the shortcomings and things can sometimes uh, almost distract from that for Sagittarius. Yeah, I think I tend to think about with Sagittarius optimism and enthusiasm, though. There's an enthusiasm, you know, mm-hmm. and that word means to be filled with the God um, that I have found and then observed unnerving related to Sagittarius. And what I mean by that, like you're pointing out, Scorpio has a tendency to see what's wrong, what's missing. And also because Scorpio has this allegiance, for lack of a better word, to the truth in a different way than Sagittarius was. I mean, Sagittarius will see truth with a little more malleability as a sign of Jupiter and mutability, and with mutability. Mm-hmm. So truth becomes what allows us to see the bigger picture or the broadness of things. So you might say like, well, that sounds good. What's wrong with that? The darker side of that is where you can change the story to kind of make it better than it is or even um, seem in a different way or even kind of embellish and exaggerate 
You know, like the example I like to give is like I go to a party with a Sagittarius and there are 50 people there, but we're all having a good time. And Sagittarius will come back and report, you know, it was great. There were like a hundred people there and we were all like dancing and having a great time. And then the Scorpio kind of goes like, there were 50 people there, right? Yeah, we were having a good time, but why are you saying a hundred? Because for the Sagittarius, it felt like a hundred. That was their experience. You know, they want to feel the ebullience of the world and the magnitude of it being greater. Where Scorpio wants to feel the heart um, emerge with the world, but not necessarily have the excesses. I love that. I love that. It made me laugh. I was I was raised by a Scorpio and a Sagittarius. Um, my mom's a Sag, and and that and me as a Scorpio. That's I'm the one always being like, Mom, you're that's such an exaggeration. Like there were not, you know, she'd be like, this guy's head was as big as a watermelon, and. <laughs> <laughs> like what are you talking about you know it's so funny um i just love that you give that example but it's it feels so true it's like that's how it felt to them you know and i think that's gonna give me a little bit of a you know that's that's gonna be good for me to keep in mind when i go home for thanksgiving and i don't have to you know um bust my mom's bubble so much right <laughs> what about you chris um, yeah, I like the one of the things you said, but there's a connection and similarity between the search for the truth in some way. Um, but the Scorpio tries to dig down deep for it, whereas the Sagittarius tries to like fly up sort of above the clouds and get a bird's eye view of everything. And um, they're coming from a similar place in that, but they're sort of different approaches in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, I always think of Scorpio and Sag as the psychologist and the philosopher, like both are very much wanting to understand, you know, just like come to understanding. Um, but I think, yeah, with Scorpio, again, it's about like, what's the, the depth of it, the psychology of it all. And with Sagittarius, it's kind of coming to like a higher mind from that. And um, yeah, using your, your more like spiritual, mental, uh, faculties, I guess, to to come to a a conclusion, honestly, or uh, not conclusion, a consensus, which is my favorite Jupiter word, one of my favorites. It's like, yeah, coming to consensus around something. Um, and so, yeah, I think both really, like you said, do care a lot about truth, um, but go about it in different ways. And the experience yeah. of it. I mean, yeah, experiencing not just truth, but you know, it's passion. There's an alignment between passion, which we talk about with Scorpio many times, and enthusiasm, which I think characterizes mm. the Sag. Um, but enthusiasm is kind of like, <clears throat> passion literally means suffering, right? You know, the idea of kind of going through and feeling that that pathos, you know, like, I'm, you know, why so serious, right? That seriousness to kind of go deep. Whereas enthusiasm is lifting us toward the God and kind of giving a gift of ourselves um, to the God or gods. And that that fits Sagittarius fairly well, you know, to kind of lift up where Scorpio kind of like, no, let's dig deeper. I want to be on the ground. It's kind of like even the contrast between the two uh, symbols, you know, the centaur versus the, you know, the, the arachnid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, 
All right. I think there's actually a bunch more we could go go on there, but since I know I'll do Sagittarius in the in the next episode, I'll, maybe it's okay to move on now yeah. instead of d- dwelling on that too much. Um, what about Scorpio and Gemini as as signs that are in aversion to each other? What are some of the ways that they are different as a result of that aversion, or maybe don't connect? I <clears throat> go on. <laughs> um, yeah, again, I come back to the elements and um, the the airy mutability of Gemini and how um, it's so concerned with um, gathering information and facts. And I think Scorpio is similar in a way, um, very similar. I, I date a lot of Geminis, like I think <laughs> almost only... <laughs> Gemini and Gemini placements. And so I think about the Gemini-Scorpio relationship a lot and how, yeah, both are very interested in in information and and details, I think. Um, But when I think with Scorpio, again, there's the depth aspect of it that Gemini just doesn't really have and is not as interested in. Um, I think Gemini is more interested in in like drawing connections between things, but I think of it more as like a map almost. Like, whereas Scorpio is like the roots. Like, I want to go deeper, um, and you know where the, where those connections lead. I think are two different places with Scorpio and Gemini. Um, yeah, it's like Gemini can is connecting to like cover more ground almost to so like connect more and more things. Whereas Scorpio is like following pieces of information and clues to kind of whittle down to something, you know, to, to focus in, I guess, more. Um, yeah. I, I think Gemini and Scorpio are two of the most maligned signs of the Zodiac. And I think that's one thing that they have in common. You know, when people meet Gemini, oh, you're a Gemini. Oh, wow. That's or, that's very much what we bond over <laughs> often. Or, you know, you're a Scorpio, right? There's always this pause if they're not one of those two signs. This is like, um, you know, especially with Gemini's, like, you're two-faced at it. You know, no, it's two-faced, um, but no, right? So there can be this, this association with, you know, kind of maligned in that way. I think the deeper aspect of it is something similar or if not the same to what Kira said, which is a certain curiosity. I mean, there's still a hunger that connects us, but how we approach that hunger or what we're looking for, what drives that hunger, I think is very different. Um, Mercury is kind of looking to, you know, like you said, make connections and acquire um, things, but not think about how these things really um you know, as a source, origin. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't need to get mm-hmm. to the origin. I just need to know, like, this is that, like this. You know, it's kind of like, um, like meeting someone who knows a lot about sun sign astrology. Like, oh, well, I can tell you like this, and he knows the signs, but do you know you have a chart? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I've nev- I haven't looked at the chart. Whereas an astrologer, I mean, astrologer Scorpio might go more toward, you know, here's the chart, there's these other things. Is it true? Which is not to say Gemini's don't go deeper. Of course, it always deals with some dimensions of the chart. I also think by I, I tend to think of aversions um, as also having some draw to each other um, that seems almost inexplicable. 
you know, the draw, like you were just talking about to Gemini's um, Kira, I think that that's not uncommon between Scorpios and Gemini's. I don't know if it, it makes for glue, you know, in terms of long-term relationship. I mean, I'm sure there are some Scorp successful Scorpio-Gemini relationships, but there's, there's an intrigue. I can't see you. Let me, I want to learn how to see you better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this, both really want to know, you know, both, both Scorpio and Gemini are both really concerned with knowing. It's just like, what do they want to know and how much, you know, how much do they want to know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's such an interesting, fun combo. Um, yeah. And of course, like you go, you co- you get to the same issues with like, yeah, longevity with the scattered, you know, airy nature of Gemini and Scorpio not being able to, how do you merge with that? <laughs> you know, um, not being able to hold on and like contain that. Or when to flip the script, mm-hmm. literally, you know, it's kind of like, well, that was yesterday. Let's try something. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was wrong said, with yesterday? Yeah. It's like, well, you just told me that this is what you wanted to do. And Gemini's like, oh yeah, no, like I changed my mind a couple hours ago. Or what I have found myself, and I don't know if other Scorpios experience this. I don't know, Chris, if you experience this. It sounds like you have, Kira. Is that um, a Gemini influence person will say something and not mean it half as deep or serious as I might take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't mean just in terms right. of something that might, you know, hurt hurts my feelings. But you know, they'll just have a thought about something, and it's like, well, it's just a thought. I almost have to consistently remind myself with a Gemini influence person, they may just be thinking it <laughs> and it just exists yeah. on the level of thought. It's not I'd say it as a passing thing. That's exactly. similar with Pisces or, or yeah, similar um, saying that thing that comes to mind, but then not necessarily being fully committed to it. Whereas the Scorpio is more committing to things um, that are said and, and says them with much more intention uh, and and follow through an intention to follow through than um, a Gemini or Pisces might. Yeah, Gemini might say like, I might go to Turkey next year, right? And you're like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I could be in Turkey. And they might say it for the day, and then you talk to them a week later. You, well, did you make progress with Turkey? What? What do you mean? Aren't <laughs> you going to Turkey? <laughs> oh no, no, <laughs> you know, it, right? And that's a you know, with that. a Scorpio when they kind of reveal like I might be in Turkey. It's like, well, actually. I've looked into like the Airbnbs there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I have a friend there. There's all this other thing attached with it. And I think that's kind of the main, one of the main things with Gemini and Scorpio is like Gemini is ruled by Mercury. And there is more of a communicative quality to that. Whereas Mercury and water signs is essentially mute and, um, you know, has a lot more of like these nonverbal ways of communicating. And so I think, yeah, the communication piece of Scorpio and Gemini can often, that, that can be often be a point of contention. I, I found personally, um, yeah, where there's, yeah, just the ways that the communication happens is very, very different. Yeah. And that the court, tension, I think a lot comes from just issues of, of depth versus lack of depth. Um, and Gemini wanting to do many different things or have at least a basic level or surface level knowledge of many things versus Scorpio wanting to focus in on just one or just a few things and having very deep knowledge or information about that thing. And um, sometimes 
Gemini to Scorpio can come off as just talking for the sake of talking um, versus Gemini to Scorpio can sometimes feel like being overly serious or overly fixated on something that, like we said earlier, doesn't have to be that deep. Right. All right. That's pretty good for Gemini. So the last ones, or the next one might be the other Mercury ruled sign, which is Virgo, which is sextile to Scorpio, and they share some similar connections in terms of um, both being nocturnal or feminine signs. Um, so here we get another Mercury ruled sign, um, but it's a little bit more connection or a little bit more flowing of a connection compared to Scorpio and Gemini. Yeah, it's it's an Earth sign, so um, its cold and dry nature complements the cold and wet nature of of Scorpio, and I think. There's a way, especially with Virgo, it's even interesting that there's a similarity in the glyphs. Um, not that that means anything completely astrological, but it's always been intriguing to me. And I think there's a way in which Virgos need to kind of fact check and think in terms of details, some aspects of its nature of wanting to be ready and prepared and efficient um, and thorough. Um, is satisfying. Like, I find really satisfying for Scorpio. Um, it's weird that nocturnal aspect of Mercury seems to be a little more soothing and familiar to Scorpio. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's the, the um, efficiency is just the word that keeps coming to mind for me that I think both signs appreciate about each other. Um, thinking about, you know, an exalted Mercury in, in Virgo um, and how there's, again, the attention to detail. Um, and I think also there's something with like the humbleness to uh, Virgo as well um, that Scorpio is drawn towards. And again, the earthy, grounded nature. Um, earth and water in general are, are great compliments Um I always think about how Earth is able to provide a container for water, um, which is otherwise otherwise formless. Um, and I think with I think Scorpio can find, like you said, a lot of comfort um, in the in the grounded nature of of Virgo. Um, and then again, yeah, in the detail oriented nature as well. Whereas similarly with you know, Gemini being a Mercury ruled sign, there's a, a need to know. There's like this, um, this need to sort of gather information. And again, Scorpio um, also wants information. It's, and, and there's that, that same um, sort of nocturnal downward, uh, you know, um, dense, denseness to that, to both signs. Um, that complement each other really well. Yeah, I, I think Virgos and Scorpios really love each other. I think those are like a combo in the Zodiac that just like, they really, really um, find a lot of comfort in each other, I find. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mentioned mention that I'd been in the series mostly using the older Stoic uh, associations of the qualities of the elements, which makes um, the water signs like Scorpio wet and the earth signs like uh, Virgo dry, and that's part of their complementary nature in the way that they balance each other out well. 
Um, but I think part of the the strong connection between Virgo and Scorpio is where Scorpio has more tensions and issues with Gemini due to the lack of depth. I think we get much more of a groundedness and much more depth when it comes to Virgo, where Mercury is exalted and you can see more of a focus on um, mastery or trying to develop and do the best version of something because Virgo is so hyper aware of the minor details and the faults or the errors of things that it tries to correct them and tries to um, it just has an inability not to focus on those small details and small errors that it always tries to like do the best job it can. And in that, it's kind of similar to Scorpio's ability to see the weaknesses of something or um, the points where it, it has weaknesses that it needs to like defend against or what have you. Yeah, and I think there's a complementary nature beyond just what we've described so far. But related to what we were describing earlier, I think when I find, and you you talked about it just in a, a second ago, Kira, in terms of the humility that often can be associated with Virgo, I think as a mercurial sign, their strength related to Scorpio specifically may be in giving detail, giving information in kind of, you know, like almost like the librarian, like, oh, you need these books, you know, in terms of we go in and like, well, I need this, 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 and this. What I think Scorpio can give to Virgo is some measure of that bravery to kind of like, you know, you're more than just a librarian, right? You can do more than just being at the library. You know, I can see you lecturing me, me? you know, doing that. I can't do that, you know, but I think there's, you know, because Scorpio at its best also can have a certain level of daring, um, as you said, mm -hmm. a certain bravery. Uh, but sometimes I think Virgos can talk themselves out of the game you know, not feeling that they can, you know, because they're so wired toward efficiency and being prepared, they always think they're underprepared, not recognizing that, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, ready, uh, aim, or ready, fire, aim. I keep messing that mm -hmm. up, but, you know, it's kind of like just to shoot. Yeah, for sure. All right, um, that's pretty good with Scorpio and Virgo. I, I think which that's definitely your right, Kira. Those two of the signs that get along really well. And then finally, the last one we haven't talked about is the other sextile sign from Scorpio, which is Capricorn, which is the other side of the the other Saturn ruled sign. Since we already talked about Saturn as the traditional ruler of Aquarius, um, so here we get uh, similar complementary qualities. Uh, between a water sign and an earth sign with Scorpio and Capricorn. And I think here you actually get a lot of similar overlap that we got with Scorpio and and Virgo, where Virgo can be hyper-fixated hyper on the details, and that complements Scorpio's um, ability to see the weaknesses in itself or in others. Um, and with Capricorn, there can be Similarly, uh, through that Saturn rulership, like the ability to see the faults in something or to criticize something, like Saturn and especially Capricorn is very good at criticizing things, um, both in terms of itself as well as in terms of of others. Yeah, and I think that criticism lends itself because I think of Capricorn as more a sign committed to and related to evolution. Um, you know, because it's not just a goat, but a sea goat covering a creature, both of the sea and land. 
And there is a way in which, you know, Virgo may have been committed to readying form, but we could say Capricorn is committed to evolving form, um, shifting the form to like more its highest potential and peak. And of course, that's going to be intriguing to, to Scorpio um, as a way in which like, oh, you know, it's kind of taking one's passion. And I think now there may be a different schema. And I know there is a different schema for why Mars is exalted in Capricorn. I don't think it was arranged by psychology. But when we look at Mars exalted in Capricorn as the sign of uh, the, the planet that rules Scorpio, we can recognize that Mars gets structure, discipline, and there's a way in which it, it finds some stronger sense of purpose. And it also can relate to, you know, okay, you've been a sprinter, um, or you can do these bursts, but can you run this marathon? And can you learn to run this marathon? And I think Capricorn, we see in Capricorn something that really inspires uh, Scorpio. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think this is another combo that just really loves each other. Um, and I think a big part of it is that, you know, Saturn or Mars exalts in, in Capricorn and just what you were saying, how, you know, when, how Earth is able to give a container for water, I think the Capricorn container um, for Scorpio or for, you know, for Mars, we could say, um, is especially great for Mars because it enables excellence, essentially. Um, it, it enables Mars to really, um, yeah, take a form that will, you know, take it to new levels, essentially. Um, and I think that Scorpio is really attracted to that, the power, I think both, sorry, I think both are attracted to the power that the yeah. other holds. Um, and it's another power couple type of type of combo for that reason. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a good combo. Um, yeah, in that, I don't know, I, I keep coming back to the, the ability to see um, the weaknesses in things, but in that they're able to help each other out by um, fixing those things and ideally being able to build on them and become stronger together as a result. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the real promise of that combination more than anything and an ability to stick with things kind of in the, in the long term. Yeah, I think, you know, as a Mars and Scorpio talking to Mars and Caps, um, something that I really admire about Mars and Capricorn as opposed to Mars and Scorpio is that, you know, a planet and domicile, I don't, I wouldn't say it can get lazy, but it can get too consistent almost. It can get too caught in its ways, especially in a fixed sign. Um, and I think about, you know, Mars and Scorpio can kind of just like keep digging to, to no avail essentially. Um, whereas the Capricorn, Mars and Capricorn, it, there's more purpose and there's there's goals, right? There's like goal points to make and it's more about building as opposed to just digging. Um, and that's something I really love about, you know, Mars and Capricorn and, and Capricorn um, in general and how I think that Capricorns can be so helpful for Scorpio in that way, but also in the sense that you know, Scorpio can kind of bring Capricorn back down to earth too. Absolutely. Um, and remind Capricorn that, 
you know, their substance and depth are are so important to things. Um, and, you know, Capricorn can get a little cold. <laughs> it can get cold up there on the mountain. And Scorpio can kind of, um, yeah, bring them back back down and, and in. Um, yeah. And get too practical. I, I think mm -hmm. it can get too practical. It can be very workmanlike and be attentive to the work, but not the passion. Um, and, you know, kind of like that hunger. Um, it's kind of like the polished fighter, you know, kind of come coming against the, even though it's a sextile, um, with the, the passionate fighter. You know, it's kind of like Scorpio brings still this, this hunger, you know, um, for those who know Rocky, it's kind of Rocky becoming champion versus Clubber Lang, right? It's kind of like where you have this sense of this hunger from Scorpio. That's where I think Capricorn feels fed um, mm -hmm. from from Scorpio um, because it can it can lose that. It can it can get so caught up in like, well, I'm climbing my mountain. I have my mountain. I and this is what I do. But Scorpio is kind of like, well, we can have more. Yeah. yeah, I think they definitely share a love for strategy and playing the long game. Mm -hmm. That was definitely mm -hmm. something I was hearing from from both of you that it made me think of that I could see. I know Scorpio and Capricorn get along very well and complement each other with. Yeah, and the long game is kind of like, like I said, you know, this this commitment to one's evolution, to growth. Um, I won't say perfection of form, but kind of the key development of form. Mm, definitely. All right. Well, I think that was the last zodiac sign combination that we needed to cover here today. So we have, uh, I feel like, I, I don't know if I'm just saying this because I'm a Scorpio, but I feel like we've gone deeper in this episode than I've gone in some other episodes. <laughs> um, this has been a lot of fun. This has been amazing. I, I can't believe how much we've covered today, but, but this was great. Thank you both. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny to do it with my sister, right? I don't mean that just by <laughs> my skin, but I mean like our complementarity of our two charts and then a connection to you, Chris. So it's great. So thank you. I don't know yeah, if we're going to well, talk about any other Scorpios, you know, like famous ones or notable ones. I don't know if we have time. I um, mean, I, I thought about whether, you know, we haven't mentioned many example charts. I hadn't lined up a lot. We could I know we've mentioned a few in passing. We were getting into so many good keywords that I was kind of just going to like skip over it. Um, but That's fine. Yeah, I'm, I don't know how Kira feels. I mean, I one of my I mean one chart that we I don't know if we had on our list to talk about, but one of my favorite Scorpio charts, and I did put it up on Twitter recently, um, is Mary Curie. Um, mm. I think if anyone wants to look up her chart, which is double A. Um, I really think that's a Scorpio chart worth looking at as kind of getting a sense of Scorpio. I mean, she has this powerful Scorpio t uh, stellium, um, and she really did exhibit that, in including kind of looking at the deeper recesses of matter and <laughs> discovering radiation. That's um, so true. Wow. Um, yeah, I remembered her birthday. I I remember like studying her and and like you know elementary school and doing a project on her. So that's so funny. She has a lot of, um, she has a lot of Scorpio. For yeah. the audio listeners, she has the Sun, Saturn, Venus, and Mars in Scorpio, along with in her midheaven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and, and I don't know. It's a twelve o'clock time. I don't know if that's. I don't know what the source is. If that's a noon chart or if it's. Yeah, I don't. I thought it was double A, um, which is you know, it could be you know. Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, yeah, it looks like it is double A, twelve o'clock p.m. Warsaw time. So, mm-hmm. as long as that's correct, she's also Capricorn rising, and so Saturn is the ruler of the ascendant, and she also has the midheaven there in Scorpio. Mm-hmm. And it's opposite to Pluto. Her sun is directly opposite to Pluto. So this need to kind of deep dive um, is is really there, even at the cost of her life and health. Again, Scorpio. Because mm. it from the, all the exposure to radiation, she did die relatively early from the radiation. Mm. Yeah, wow. wow. Um, what's her name? <laughs> The, the the author, she has my birthday. Kelly talks about her a lot. Margaret Atwood? No. Um, Jesus. She's a Scorpio. Um, never mind. Forget it. I'm ha- Mercury and Sun. Do you know what books she wrote? Fart. Um, like, it's all about vulnerability and being brave. A Brene it's Brown. Like, yeah, it's like tip of my tongue. Yeah, she's another Scorpio. Brene um, Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, um, whose chart I like. And yeah, again, the vulnerability piece, the bravery, <laughs> there's, it's all a lot of Scorpio, Martian um, words. And yeah, and having to do with this more like ment- like psychological and emotional um, aspects of life. So that was another one. Well, before we leave, I do want to ask, since we, we, aren't going to talk too much about charts. It was one chart and then one thing you wanted to, one person you wanted to explore. I've always been intrigued by both in a, in a negative and a positive way. What is up with Drake? I knew you were going to say Drake. What is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, what is it about Drake, actually? What Maybe. about him specifically? <laughs> People either really, 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 really hate him or mm. really, 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 really love him. Yeah. Um, he's, I, I think from his onset, has been such a polarizing person. I mean, not person himself for trying to do that, but the, the way in which he polarizes people. And I'm just trying to like, what is it? You know, so I was just curious related to his chart. I don't know if you have his chart up, Chris. Or- yeah, I've got his chart. So, and Drake, famously released a album titled Scorpion not too long ago, like a few years ago. But this is a double A time where mm. he has very oh. late lately arising. Regulus rising. Yeah. There we go. And the sun at zero degrees of Scorpio and then Pluto, Venus, the IC and Mercury also in Scorpio. Yeah. So is it just I mean, as simple as a Mars Pluto square? I don't know. What do you think, Kira? Honestly, I was thinking it I said, oh, because I was looking at the the Venus, sorry, the Jupiter moon domicile trine to all the Scorpio stuff. To me, I think he's a little corny. And that's what I think that's described. That's what I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's that moon Jupiter. Um, I think domicile planets can be kind of corny and, uh, and, and basic. <laughs> I'm saying this as with three domicile pa- planets. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's like, he's kind of just a little, yeah. Then what testifies he's not as hard. He's not as hard as... It, he comes off? As Yeah, as like, I think people want him to be more like a hard Scorpio, and he's a little bit 
I think he's too soft underneath. <laughs> yeah, he started from the bottom, that, but you're weird. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like... He's a softie. Um, but yeah, but at the same time, I guess maybe that Regulus Rising, you know, really supports him um, as, you know, having this power um, and, and wielding this influence. But I think some of that does happen with Scorpio. We didn't talk about that, but one other trait with Scorpios can be some aspect of polarization. I mean, I mentioned Marie Curie, um, and she was well achieved as the first woman to achieve, to actually have a Nobel Prize. Uh, the only woman in history to win it twice, the Nobel Prize. Um, but at the same time, there were many in French society for different reasons who hated her and who, you know, loathed her and um, didn't relish her success. Similarly, people feel a similar way with P. Diddy um, as another kind of well-known um, Scorpio-influenced person. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think that's kind of one other concern I, I would have, you know, with, with that. And then there's Whoopi. So it's interesting to kind of Note these and Hillary. Oh, I can't yeah, forget Hillary's Hillary. Like, you know, Hillary is another person who's kind of like, you know, I think Joe Biden is another Scorpio who ran, who was able to be successful as not being Hillary, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I mean, were you Chris, say? Chris Jenner, another polarizing yeah. Scorpio. All, all, a lot of Jenners. <laughs> a lot of the Kardashians have a lot of Scorpio <clears throat> placements too. Yeah. What were you going to say, Chris? Um, just that, you know, one of the interesting things with both Hillary and Biden is some of that um, theme that sometimes comes up as Scorpios of the, the death and rebirth thing of having sometimes a great crisis or suffering a great um, setback or, or hitting a lowest point and then having to come back from that, from Biden, for Biden with his you know, stellium of planets in the twelfth house, um, having that incident where, when he was, I think it was like thirty years old when he was first elected to public office and first became a politician. I think like a month after that, or a few weeks after he was elected to office, his family was involved in a car wreck and he lost his, you know, wife and I think two of his children, um, and it was like a major um, loss. But then he sort of stuck with it and persevered and then went on, you know, to be a politician and eventually become president. Um, but then even later, you know, before he became president, like a few years ago, he was questioning whether to run in like 2016. And then his son, Bo Biden, died. Yeah. And so he suffered this other great loss, but then ended up having to like come back from that. And of course, with Hillary, she's gone through that. Hillary Clinton, she's gone through a similar theme several times in her life of suffering major losses or setbacks and then having to basically just like wake up the next day and pick up the next the pick up the pieces and like move forward. Um, and it was interesting hearing her describe that like after the twenty six the loss of the twenty sixteen election to Trump and you know, how do you come back from that? It's like a similar theme, I think, that Scorpio sometimes that comes up at different points or in different ways of their life of how do you come back from what would seem to other people like for, as just like an impossible loss, hmm. um, but still 
persevere and survive. And there's something about like a, a survival, like a survivor quality to Scorpios and to Scorpio energy that I think is really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I remember Ann Ortley once saying, like, speaking on that about Scorpio and saying how, like, you know, there'll be like a plane crash and there'll be the one lone survivor and it'll be a Scorpio. Scorpio. Um, And it reminds me, yeah, about like the scorpion and how that animal has persevered for so long as well. And yeah, there's definitely a big survival um, aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then also the processing of that and the processing of things like grief and how that affects a person, but also how sometimes grief can also instill a sense of empathy. Um, And that's something I think that's important sometimes as well is through loss or pain or hardship. Sometimes it creates a sense of empathy, which is like an emotional feeling um, that people might not have otherwise if they hadn't had or suffered that same sort of um, loss or tragedy. Yeah, so that can help them in terms of connecting. That's somewhat true, yeah. I think that's why people, like there's a stereotype around Scorpios and sort of like everyone just like telling us all their secrets or just like kind of feeling really safe to kind of disclose a lot, to be vulnerable around Scorpios. And I think there is some maybe sort of underlying, you know, thing around people sort of expecting almost that you get it or that you've you've been there before in some way, that you've been through some shit and that you can, you know, um, that you can handle what they're bringing to you. Um, yeah. That you can receive it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can hold it. Yeah, well, cool. for sure. And I think that's that's the, the the psychologists of the zodiac and the confidants. Sort of that's the the Scorpio role sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Brilliant. Well, uh true to our zodiac signs, we are having trouble letting go of this episode <laughs> and this right? discussion of the podcast since we're at three hours now. So um <laughs> I think but this is I dare say it, and I think I've said this a few times because every episode gets better, but I think this is one of the best episodes I've done so far. So thank you both for joining me for this deep dive into Scorpio. Um, Sam, where can we find out more information about your work and Um, other things? Unlockastrology.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at unlockastrology and on IG at S as in Sam, F as in Fred Reynolds. So SF Reynolds. Hopefully Twitter is still there by the time we release this episode. I don't know. <laughs> right? we'll, see, we'll see. see what happens. It's been a weird eclipse season. Uh, Kira, where can we find out more information about you? Um, yeah, I'm the astrology, T-H-E, astrology, no A, um, dot com, the astrology dot com, at the astrology on Instagram, the astrology underscore on Twitter, and the astrology show on um, YouTube and all the places you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Great. Well, I'll put links to both of those in the description below this video on YouTube or on the podcast website in the entry for this episode. So that's it for this episode. Thanks both of you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan.
If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly auspicious elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, sinistry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. I also recently published a new translation of the anthology of the 2nd century astrologer Vedius Valens, which is one of the most important sources for understanding the practice of ancient astrology. You can find that by searching for Vadius Valens the Anthology on Amazon or other online book retailers. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. I also recently launched a new course there called the Birth Time Rectification Course, where I teach students how to figure out your birth time using astrology when the birth time is either unknown or uncertain. You can find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Each year, the podcast releases a set of astrology calendar posters for the coming year, and we've just released our 2023 Planetary Alignments and Planetary Movements posters, which are now available on our website at theastrologypodcast.com store. There you can also pick up our 2023 Electional Astrology Report, where Lisa Scheim and I went through the next 12 months and we picked out the single most auspicious date for each month using the principles of electional astrology. You can get that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine, which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. Finally, thanks also to the Northwest Astrology Conference, which is happening May 25th through the 29th, 2023, just outside of Seattle, 
this year's conference is going to be a hybrid conference where you can either attend online or in person. Find out more information at norwac.net.